This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 20. We are a podcast dedicated to not only talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I'm Sid. And our special guest is not dead this time. I know, he's not dead, which is great. So, uh, we, we kind of mentioned it on the uh, on the episode before, but uh, on this episode of the podcast, we have special guest Casey Manofsky article. Hi, buddy, how you yes. doing? <laughs> Hi, I'm doing great. That's good. That's good. Um, so, Casey, before we get on to the show proper, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I am a... Uh, my name is Casey, uh, better known on Twitter as Manovsky Article. I talk about comics on the internet, and sometimes people like it. That's that's great. I, <laughs> I, I, I try to do the same thing, but I, I, feel like, I feel like your insight is usually a little more interesting, though. Oh, no. I, I think the more insight that we can get from as many voices as possible, the better. This is true. Mm-hmm. I, I do agree with that. Um, so we brought on Casey for this episode because, uh, I mean, I mean, by the time you guys listen to this, it'll have already passed. But we're actually recording this the day before Halloween. So it's, it's spooky or spoopy, as, as everybody on the Internet likes to call it. Uh, so we decided to have Casey on to uh, later in the show after we cover all of our usual news. Uh, Casey is going to basically go over uh, some of his uh, recommended uh, manga horror picks, uh, horror mm-hmm. manga picks. Scratch that, switch that. Um, <laughs> so look forward to that. Uh, that'll come a little uh, little closer to the end of the show. Uh, but for now, um, I think we should just get right into the news and not waste any time. So, uh, first, like usual, we want to go over the uh, newest New York Times bestselling manga list, uh, this time from the week of October 16th through the 20, uh, 22nd. Uh, first on the list, uh, surprise, surprise, a new volume of Tokyo Ghoul, Tokyo Ghoul Volume 9. And how appropriate, considering the Halloween season. I know, right? Uh, right that's uh, ranking at number one. At number two, we have uh, Tokyo Ghoul number one on the list, uh, with his previous rank being uh, number three, uh, this being its 68th week on the list. Tokyo Ghoul is never going to leave us, ever. It's mm-hmm. the most popular thing in the world, I for mean, some there reason. are two, especially considering this list is 40% Tokyo Ghoul, with Volume 8 coming in at number six, and Volume 2 coming in at number eight. I, w- I would say this is all mostly like uh, mostly popular stuff, but we'll get to that in just a bit. So, I would, well, I would say I would say Tokyo Ghoul success is proof, however, that horror manga has kind of gone mainstream. I mean, you have the success of Tokyo Ghoul, which has a lot of horrific elements, and then you have uh, some, the success of something like Attack on Titan, which previously that that caliber of giant genitalist naked people. <laughs> Eat devouring children. That, I mean, that would be that would be something relegated to the fringes of weird horror. And now it's something <laughs> that it's something that is socially acceptable by the parents of high schoolers all around America. I mean, I think something both of those series have in common too is that they're both kind of takes on zombie stories and zombie uh, zombie media is like really big right now. I mean, obviously, Walking Dead is like one of the most successful TV shows and comics on right now. But in general, like we get so many zombie movies and zombie comics and just zombie everything stuff that gets published right now. Like, and both Tokyo Ghoul and Attack on Titan have those elements in them. And I guess there's something about that that really appeals to people on just a primal level. Like cannibalism, is, cannibalism is so hot among this uh, country's children right now. <laughs> cannibalism <laughs> and the taunt of the living undead. 
just there there is something so grossly uncanny about the Titans. Yeah. That it's it's very difficult to place why that became so the, the big successful thing that it is, other than that it has really flashy animation, because it's so gross, and yet... Okay, I, I'm going to put it this way. A friend of mine uh, is a librarian who runs a uh, anime club for the teens in his teen department, because he's part of the uh, youth librarianship. And their, their favorite things are things like Tokyo Ghoul, and are things like Attack on Titan, but something like... Attack on Titan, you know, he was initially fairly worried that this would, you know, because he has to screen these in public places, and any time a parent can walk in and disagree with what they're showing, and he said, you know, with Attack on Titan, he had that worry, and he was screening it for, you know, for these people who are between, like, 12 and 18, uh, and one of the moms walks in, and, like, during a scene where somebody's about to be eaten, and she's like, oh, yeah, Attack on Titan, my kid loves this, like, there was no <laughs> flinching about that, you know? Like, wow. They just recognized, oh yeah, though this is the weird stuff that my kid likes, so it's cool. Just keep showing it, you're fine. Yeah, this is that weird anime thing that my kid likes. I don't really understand it, but I support their decisions. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Although, although I think I think it also does say a lot that you know, as as uh, particularly uh, as a Westerners and particularly as Americans, uh, that we're we're much more accepting of graphic violence than we are of any suggestion of sexuality. So That's for sure. Yeah. Yes, that's that's how it goes. <laughs> Speaking of Attack on Titan, that's number seven on this list. Yeah, uh, th- this being on the list for a uh, hundred and twenty-five weeks, mm-hmm. collectively speaking, uh, which is amazing. Two and a half years, and they just put out that uh, Kodansha just put out that uh, collaboration Attack on Titan volume, which is both manga and you know, it's 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 American artists and writers telling stories based on the manga. Yes, and. Uh, I haven't read all of it yet, but what I have read has been actually really high caliber. Yeah, I actually do want to like sit down and read that at some point. Maybe even like talk about it on the show. And I mean, if I mean, I don't know. Would you have any interest in reading that at all? Sure, of course. Sure. I mean, I've been interested in reading it for a while, so definitely hoping to pick that up uh, sometime soon. Yeah, hopefully we could talk about that at some point. Um, but just to kind of continue the list real quick, at a uh, we have uh, One Punch Man Volume 1 and 8, uh, ranking at number 3 and 4. Uh, number 1 being uh, on the list for 59 weeks at this point. Number 8 being on the list for 5 weeks. Um, and then at number 5, uh, another uh, title that I don't I don't, I don't have any idea of what it is whatsoever. At number 5, we have uh, Magicka Swordsman and Summoner Volume 5 this being its first week on the list. Um, are either of you guys familiar with this title at all? I'm not, but it's by Seven Seas, who are going to be talking about a lot later. So, yes. once again, good for you, Seven Seas. Yeah, you got, <laughs> you got one title in there. Good job. Brought back the running gag. <laughs> um, and then, uh, like Sid said, we have uh, Tokyo Ghoul Volume 8 at number 6, uh, and then uh, Attack on Titan at number 7, Tokyo Ghoul Volume 2 at number 8, uh, Berserk Volume One at number nine. This being its third week on the list, I'm I'm kind of glad to see Berserk on here still. Um, I really hope that maybe uh, maybe more of that sells, and maybe uh, Dark Horse Comics will uh, maybe eventually put it up online, maybe for digital release. But that's probably never going to happen. But whatever. The resurgence surprises me because it's happening after the anime season. Well, maybe it's because the anime scenes ended, attracted new fans, and so that's why they're going out and seeking out the manga. That's Which very particular possible. volume was it? Uh, volume one. Okay. 
that had been out of print for a long time, so I'm glad to see it's back in print and doing well. Oh yeah, it's, I'm glad that uh, Dark Horse re- is reprinting the older Berserk volumes finally. Going to be a lot easier to collect those now. I'll oh, be yes. curious to see if they if they do it. They'll do with Berserk what they've done with a lot of their other series recently, which is to rebrand them as omnibus editions. I hope so. That'll ju- that'll make them even easier to collect. Because yeah. I, I know for, for the longest time it was hard to get some of the volumes of uh, Blade of the Immortal, and that's getting a omnibus starting in December. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that okay? I didn't know about that actually. I had watched the anime for that, and I was I was just kind of like, oh, this is this is okay. I like. I feel like I'd I'd be more interested in reading that over watching it. Let me advocate it to the behalf. I, I have. I can't pretend that I finished it all yet, but I've been reading that one since high school. Um, oh wow! The the art is very 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 cinematically paced. Like the action choreography is so good, Ooh. and Blade of the Immortal and the anime under delivered on it so hard. I can believe that. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> yeah, I was not a fan of that anime adapt- adaptation at all, and it didn't even get close to the end of the story. Oh wow! As anime adaptations are wont to do, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it sounds like Blade of the Immortal is in kind of a similar situation as Berserk. In the yes. sense, it's it just it can't ever get a truly an adaptation that captures like the artistic quality of its manga. Well, I'm curious about that one because uh, Blade of the Immortal also just got a movie by Takashi Miike, so I haven't seen oh, that wow. one yet. Well, if it's by Takashi Miike, I think we can expect some pretty damn awesome action scenes out of it, at least. Or at least some some really raw stuff. Uh, this Blade of the Immortal talk does slightly fit uh, talk of horror because there are some very vivid, explicit scenes of torture, uh, especially because the main character can constantly regenerate lost body parts. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. So it's it's an interesting series, but we'll move on. Sorry. No, that's fine. Um, that that's that's why it's called Blade of the Immortal. I kind of forgot about that. I haven't watched the anime in a long time. Like that was something I watched uh, when I was in high school. So that was that was years ago at this point. Um, no, no one should watch the anime. <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> um, but finally, at number ten, we have Assassination Classroom Volume Twelve. Uh, previously number four on the list, with it being its uh, third week on the list. Yeah, I definitely think Yusei Matsui's appearance in New York Comic Con has caused kind of a slight resurgence in Assassination Classroom. Yeah, because I because I think because Volume Twelve is the first volume in a while I think that we've seen on this list like in multiple subsequent weeks. So I, I definitely think that Matsui's appearance at New York Comic Con helped in in giving the series some more publicity at recently. I would also venture to guess that Assassination Classroom is possibly helped by the fact that people know it ended. That's true, but it ended a couple months ago, and there was a stretch of time where we didn't really see the volumes pop up on the list. So okay, I definitely uh, duh. so if I were to attribute anything to Volume Twelve's success, I, I feel it would be Matsui's appearance at Comic-Con, and then the promotional stuff Wiz was doing to, you know, promote that. Um, just out of cur- curiosity, Casey, have you, have you ever read anything by Matsui? I, you know, I haven't. Um, no. I, I've, read, I've read a little bit of Assassination Classroom. I enjoyed what I read, but uh, at the time I was reading it, I thought this is going to be another Shonen Jump thing that goes on forever. No. Nope. <laughs> I'm not going to invest this, this just yet. And I'm really glad because that was a series I was so worried they were going to stretch the premise beyond any reason. Nah, everything that happens in Assassination Classroom is purposeful. 
and it adds yeah. on top of each other and gets paid off on at the end. But as the story goes on and, and through to the end of the series. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really satisfied by things that don't go on forever. Uh, mm. As much as I'm as much as I'm an advocate for One Piece, uh, <laughs> I agree. Even though I'm a Rumiko Takahashi fan, oh, same, same. But you know, we we understand each other. Yes. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know, Sid. Uh, what do you think of this list? Oh, the New York Times list. I mean, it's a bunch of very popular titles outside of the Magica. You know, the Seven Seas title. So, I mean, it's nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. I think Tokyo Ghoul, I mean, Tokyo Ghoul is always consistently popular, but it, it being, it dominating most of the list during Halloween season doesn't surprise me in the least. So. Yeah, I, I feel like we've been getting a lot of these, li- uh, we've been covering these kinds of lists a lot lately where it's like, uh, more than half of it is usually a lot of the usual suspects, and then oh look, here, there's there's one thing by Seven Seas that uh, is suddenly popular. Okay, yeah, I feel like we've been getting a lot of those lately. Um, but uh, that's pretty much it for that list. Um, not, nothing much else to discuss. Just usual kind of stuff. On the topic of Seven Seas, yeah. So <laughs> apparently, it's the 12th anniversary of Seven Seas as a company, and so this uh, last week. Uh, at the time of recording this, they they decided to uh, license and release, or I guess announce a bunch of new licenses. Every and, day. Uh, we're going to be, yep, and uh, we're going to be going over those uh, as quick as I can here. So, um, I believe the first thing that they announced was a was a two volume series called uh, Ultime Mania by Yurio Sugigase. Uh, the first volume will be released on uh, June 20th of next year, along with the second volume being released on uh, September 26th of next year as well, both uh, going at a retail price of uh, twelve ninety nine. And um, essentially, it's about a gamer girl, and she lands her dream job at an Otome game company, which, just in case any of you don't know what an Otome game is, it's essentially dating sim. They're usually um, geared towards, uh, geared towards uh, people of the female persuasion. And um, from the small synopsis we we get from Seven Seas, I won't go through all of it here, but it seems like if I had to venture a guess, this seems like it's going to be kind of a Bakuman slash Shirobako kind of thing, where it's going to be a series about a particular industry and um, how awesome or shitty it is, probably. So, I don't know, Sid, do you think you have any interest in this at all? (laughs) Well, I'm seeing a lot of cute boys on this cover, and I'm thinking... Mmm, now this looks like some good reverse harem shit. <laughs> <laughs> I I haven't read a lot of reverse harem, so I don't really know what's good or not. Me neither, but I feel like I would enjoy a good one, just because, I don't know. I, f- I feel like the I- that I'd enjoy reverse harems more than I do regular harems, but maybe that just has to do with my interests, but we'll see. Um, I, I could see that. Um... And then I believe the next thing that uh, Seven Seas brought up was a manga adaptation of the anime of uh, Concrete Revolutio by Sho Aikawa and Nylon, uh, again, based on the anime from uh, Studio Bones. Um, it will be released in a two-in-one omnibus edition on June 27th of next year. And um, basically, from the premise, to me, it literally sounds like Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, essentially, what I'm getting from the from the synopsis is super-powered beings exist, there's an organization that deals with the existence of them, uh, and yada, 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 good or evil, 
whatever. I mean, this, one, this one had an anime adaptation recently. So. I think that this manga is based on the anime. Yeah, the manga okay. is uh, based on the anime. It was uh, gotcha. anime original, but um, I heard yeah, good I things about the anime. I didn't. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I've heard very good things. Uh, so, I mean, I'm interested in the anime. I mean, a- manga adaptions of anime tend to not interest me as much because they t- they tend to be more like advertisements of the anime of some yeah, sort. Yeah, so I'm not so. I'm not so I don't know if I'm interested in the manga version of this, but I w- I do plan to check out Concrete Revolution proper at some point. See, I remember trying to watch the first episode and having a really hard time following what was going on. But I mean, I definitely wasn't in the mood to watch it weekly. But um, I wouldn't mind maybe giving it a chance again, uh, as I like to categorize things on the show here. Uh, it's it's not it's not exactly a top priority, but. I wouldn't mind giving it another chance at some point. But uh, next on here, we have uh, Generation Witch by Uta Isaki. Uh, the first volume of that will be released on July 25th, 2017. And um, essentially takes place in a world where uh, 1% of the population are witches. And apparently all, all the normies are all jealous of witches because they can uh, they, they have all those magic spells and everything. But, you know, guys, it's actually really hard being a witch, especially when you're a teenager. Womp womp. Cue laugh track. Like that, that's 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 the that's the tone I got from the synopsis myself. Some people <laughs> may differ. Um, this sounds like it could be cute, maybe. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I'm not the I'm not I'm clearly not the <laughs> audience for a lot of this stuff. <laughs> um, no, that that's totally fair. I don't think I am really either. Um, this next one, um, I'm kind of interested. I've, I fe- I have very mixed feelings about this one. So uh, the next licensed uh, Seven Seas announced was a title called Don't Meddle With My Daughter, which, by the way, A plus title on that. I'm feeling pretty good about this so far. Um, apparently, it is um, it is by Nozomu Tamaki, who is also the author of Dance in the Vampire Bund. Which I've never read, but I remember uh, when when Borders was still around and that was still open near where I live. You know, I would peruse around the manga section. I would see it around occasionally, and I would take one look at the cover and see like a supposed uh, lolly vampire chick, and I and I would be like, man, I should really be on like an FBI list or something. I feel really bad looking at this. <laughs> so I'm already kind of a. Uh, I was I was already feeling kind of um uh, I don't know what you would call it skeptical about this, uh, but uh, it seems like uh, so th- th- this was one I'm just going to read the synopsis for because I-, I think I think it needs to so uh, the synopsis from Seven Seas reads as such: Meet the Eighth Wonder, a mother daughter team of superheroes, uh, Athena Haruka. The original Eighth Wonder disappeared twenty years ago after a battle with the villainous organization. And you cannot make this stuff up. Blowjob. Mm. I just want—I just want that to sink in. Villainous organization of blowjob. Now, Eighth Wonder has reappeared, but it's Athena's daughter, Clara, recruited to fill her mother's superhero shoes. When her daughter makes Do her debut as a superhero, this? I mean, the rest of this. No, isn't... you know what? No, that's <laughs> the, the, a that's the, a the good whole point, point, Sid. Was the villainous organization being blowjob? That's the that's the straight that's the stra- that's the strange part. That's the notable part. That's the part where yeah. you go, what the fuck, at? Like, the rest of it is, like, fun premise. Like, the, do- the mother is going to come back to help her daughter, whatever. But the, the villainous organization is actually called Blowjob. That is freaking 
hilarious. I mean, I, I, I will read this manga just because of that. I know it's probably going to be this etchy, strange thing, but I will read this manga just because it, the, the villainous organization in this series is called Blowjob. At the very least, it seems like this series has a sense of humor. Uh, either that, or it knows its audience. Sid, you just, Sid, you go ahead and do this so that we don't have to. Sure, sure. (laughs) No, 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 I honestly, like, I was pretty skeptical about the title at first, but Sid and I were talking the other night, and he was helping me going through uh, all the Seven Seas licenses, and he tells me about this, and I I didn't believe him. At all. I I thought he was fucking with me, but... Apparently, this is a real thing, and uh, I'm I'm gonna have to try this out. I feel like I'm obligated to at this point. Just I have to, like like th- this one out of all of them. Not to jump the gun, but I think I'm actually gonna like check this one out actively. Too bad we'll need to wait a year since it will come out until August 29, twenty seventeen. But yes, we will keep an eye on this series. And apparently, it'll be shrink wrapped for mature audiences. So. um... That should really tell you what kind of series this is going to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, next up here we have uh, Red Riding Hood and the Big Sad Wolf by uh, Shin Hachijo. First volume will be released on uh, June 13th for a retail price of twelve ninety nine. And um, I'm not going to bother reading the synopsis for this one. Basically, it just it looks like a very fluffy anime-like take on Red Riding Hood and the Big, big Bad Wolf or the Big Sad Wolf is just... A, a kid in a in a in a wolf costume. He has cute little wolf ears, and it looks like it's just going to be a cute little thing. I don't know. What do you think, Sid? It's not Alice in Wonderland for the millionth time, so I give it points for that. <laughs> that's that's totally fair. I am so sick of Alice in Wonderland adaptations <laughs> across the media landscape. Not just <laughs> not just in manga. I'm sick of seeing it in movies. I'm sick of seeing it referenced in psychological thrillers i'm sick of seeing it in haunted houses i'm just i i'm i'm i was enamored with it in fifth grade and now i'm (laughs) done with it i don't want to see it anymore (laughs) it is pretty played out i will agree which is a shame because like i i haven't i haven't read any of the original myself but i mean like it, it is a really interesting story oh it is it is i mean and there's there's a lot to like there but it has been it's been done to death just just of course, of go. course. Yeah. Let, let, it, let it be the thing it was and move on. <laughs> yeah, stop doing Alice in Wonderland and Wizard of Oz for the again and again Japan. Find other stories to adapt. So, so it looks <laughs> like that next thing is going to be played out as Little Red Riding Hood, obviously. I will say that I will read Alice in Murderland one of these days because of the title alone. That, what, what is that? I don't think I've ever heard of that. So is this the Japanese version of American McGee's Alice? What is this? That that is the, by the way that is a old PC game about uh, Alice Wonderland, the dark twisted version. Well, it's a kind of a yeah, it's an old computer game. Sorry. Oh wow, <laughs> I'm I'm learning so much today. Um, so uh, next up we have um, Lord save me, um, Akashic. Akashic? I don't know how you pronounce that. Records of the Bastard Magical Instructor by Alsa Tsunemi. Uh, it's uh, apparently a manga based on a light novel of the same name by uh, Taro Hitsuji. First volume is slated for a release on October 29, 2017. Uh, basically, it's a magic high school. Main character wants to be trained in magic, 
but her instructor is apparently replaced by a doofus. Wacky hijinks ensue. I'm not interested. There are only three magical school things that I like. Harry Potter, Little Witch Academia, and that one arc of Magi that took place in the school. Honestly, I, I could agree with some of those. Those are, those are, those are good choices. And um, apparently there's going to be a uh, Tales of Zestiria manga uh, by Shiramine, uh, obviously based on the RPG by, uh, from uh, Bandai. You know, if, if, you, if you know what, what the Tales of series is, there's no real explanation needed there. Uh, first volume will be released on June 13th, 2017 for a retail price of $12.99. Uh, this last one I'm actually super interested in. Um, this one actually particularly caught my eye. Um, so, uh, the last thing that, uh, Seven Seas announced was, uh, was a title called My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness by, uh, Kabi Nagata. And apparently it is a, um, as Seven Seas describes it, it is a very popular comic on, on Pixiv, apparently. And uh, as Seven Seas says, uh, it offers readers an honest and heartfelt look at one young woman's exploration of her sexuality, mental well-being, and growing up in our modern age. I am absolutely interested in this one. I had not heard of it before, but I really like what we've seen of the art style, and um, and I'm very interested in the concept. So I, I think the more positive, interesting, clear representation we can get out of manga, the better. So I'm curious to see what this one will pan out to be. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, this this one seems like it's it's going to be really good. I'm like, I, I know I was saying I'd pick up uh, Don't Meddle with My Daughter earlier. That sounds really bad out of context. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think this one, this one I'm definitely picking up. I like, I actively do want to buy this. Um, definitely, it's going to be apparently, uh, I think it's going to be released in one volume. I don't think it's too long. Um, and it's original uh, two-tone color printing on June 3rd, 2017 for a, for the retail price of Thirteen ninety nine, and uh, that's about it for all the uh, Seven Seas licenses. Wait, um, did we mention Beasts of Abigail? Did we? I don't think we did. Okay, so that's that's another one. I guess we just missed. Uh, that's about a young woman's fantastical adventures, mystical country. It's another Little Red Riding Hood kind of take on that story. Oh God, so, it's already starting. Oh, I guess now. Yeah, I guess Japan is. Tired of Alice in Wonderland. Now they're moving to Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> no, not no, no more. I'm already sick of it, and I haven't even I haven't even seen more than two titles. <laughs> what's What's next? The little old lady that lives in the shoe. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot you can do about that. I think. Maybe. Oh, that's so so ridiculous. Okay, so I I, I think we have a pretty good idea of what we're looking forward to from Seven Seas and what we're interested in or not. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. So uh, apparently, uh, Yen Press is releasing some stuff as well. Uh, let's see. One of their th- one of the first things they're going to be releasing is uh, Ryoko Kui's uh, "Delicious in Dungeon" yeah! or "Dungeon Meshi" in uh, on uh, <laughs> during spring twenty seventeen. Sid, you sound like you have thoughts on this. Yes, I really, really like "Dungeon Meshi." It is it's a great satire of both cooking manga and fantasy series. It like explores this question of like. How you would, how you would actually survive as an adventurer in a dungeon, eating off of like, (laughs) eating and cooking creatures in dungeons while taking into account taste and nutritional value. Like, it's just, 
such a it's, it's such a funny series. Like the the creative ways they come up to cook these monsters and try and make them taste good and try and make sure that you know they're having a well balanced, fully nutritional diet. And all that what they put into that it's hilarious. I just such a it's it's a really funny series. It's a great series for fans of both cooking manga and fantasy series. Highly recommended. Really looking forward to it. Can't wait. I feel like we've mentioned this title on the show before, haven't we? Because that title is really familiar. We have mentioned it because it was one of the five titles that uh, people were most looking forward to see licensed back in this uh, San Diego Comic-Con panel. That's right, that's right, okay. So, yeah. We have talked about, we have mentioned it before, but yeah, glad that it is finally licensed. That sounds like it could be funny. I, I, I really like the concept. Yes, it's, it it's is interesting. Funny. It is interesting. <clears throat> uh, but along with that, apparently, uh, there is a uh, No Game, No Life spinoff manga coming called uh, No Game, No Life Desu, which if you're a fan of No Game, No Life, is good for you. I still I, haven't um, really watched it yet. I don't yet. really necessarily care about Izuna, but I like No Game, No Life, so... See, I still haven't watched the anime for that. I hear a lot of mixed opinions on it. I found it fun. I can understand how the fan service rubbed some people the wrong way. Like, it does get a pretty... I wouldn't say... I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was, like, offensive. But, I mean, I, it was at the same time, like, there, like you know, it's... it's all, it, it was very... It, like, all the female characters, you know, get naked at one point, so... Like it, it's it's very it's a, there's a lot of fan service in that series and it can rub people the wrong way. So I think so, but but it, I I found it I found all the characters a lot of fun. I found like the interesting like mo- battles of wits a lot of fun. I, I like I so I I I thought it was a very fun enjoyable series. So that's that's one of those series that I'm I want to read the light novels of at some time. Uh, so. Probably will at some point. That and Spice and Wolf are like the two big ones I want to read. Well, Bacchano and yeah, Spice and Wolf too. I should get around to. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Bacchano. I do want more Bacchano. Um, so uh, let's see. Other than that, uh, there's a uh, Earthbound spinoff novel coming called uh, Another Side. So if you're into Earthbound, that's great. Um, and then uh, I think most importantly, um. So we we we've all heard of uh, Makoto Shinkai's uh, newest film that apparently is taking Japan and some of the world by storm, entitled "Your Name" or "Kimi no Namaiwa." Yes, the anime that signals the end of the otaku era because normies are watching it. I know, right? Yes. Apparently, uh, Yen Press is coming out with both a uh, with both a manga adaptation and a no- novelization for it. Um, believe the novel. Is releasing sometime in uh, uh, May 2017, and um, I don't think there's a release date for the manga yet. I'm looking real quick. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think there's one for that just yet. But um, so yeah, I, I know people have been really making a big deal out of that movie. I obviously I haven't seen it yet. I don't think it's I don't think it's officially been released anywhere. But um, you know through certain means other people have uh, seen it and uh, made a big deal about it um i don't know sid do you have any interest in seeing the movie in particular at all yeah actually i promised my friends over at animation revelation that i would write a review of it at some point because they 
they were they watched it and they were like, "Uh, oh, we don't have an angle for this. You have anything?" I was like, "You know, I'm kind of busy now, but like at some point, I would be interested in maybe writing about it because it seems like an interesting movie." So now that Funimation's announced that you know they are going to release it theatrically over here, I'm going to probably go see that, and then afterwards I'll probably write about it for Animation Revelation. So yes, I am interested in seeing the movie. Uh, Casey, do you have any interest in seeing this movie? Uh, sure. I, although I have to admit, uh, this is my confession, I have not seen enough Makoto Shinkai, so I really have to go through that filmography. I mean, that's an, that's kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to wait about wait on it, too, because I haven't explored Shinkai as thoroughly as I want to. I've seen some of his stuff. I have, an, uh, I have some opi- I, ha- I formed some opinions based on what I've seen, but I want to explore more of his filmography and kind of see, like, how the, the direction of his career and then how that... It might, might have influenced your name's success. So there's a lot more uh, of his stuff I want to watch and a lot more research I want to do before I write about, watch and write about your name. I, uh, I'm i kind of interested in seeing your name just because of uh, just because of how big of a splash it's made. And I, I hear it's very interesting. It's a very popular date movie in Japan. Apparently, yes, that's that's what I hear, too. The only Shinkai I've seen is Voices of a Distant Star, and that was back in 2002, so... The only movie of his I've seen is, um, I believe it's called Children Who Chase Lost Voices. Yes, that's airing on Toonami on November 5th. Oh, nice. I, I just want to go on record and say I am, I'm not a fan of that movie. I feel like it really tries too hard to be a Studio Ghibli movie, and it, it doesn't feel original to me at all. And I'm, I'm sure other people are going to disagree with me, but... Man, that, that's the only Shinkai movie I've seen, and I wasn't really a big fan of that, but that doesn't mean I, I don't want to give his other movies a chance, but from the little I've seen so far, I'm, I mean, it was, it was a fine movie, I just, I wasn't really too, I wasn't really into the story too much at all, I just felt like I'd seen it done before, um, but that's just me. Well, Shinkai's works seem, are emphasized, like, like, gorgeous visuals, and then, like, this specific kind of, like, emotional connection more than the actual storytelling, based on what I've seen. Yeah, that's, I, I could see that. Um, but, uh, those of you who are interested in the, in the movie can, uh, take a look at the manga and novel adaptations of those. And I think, I think that's about it for licensing news, right? Uh, n- 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 nothing new came up from Seven Seas while we were recording, I don't think. Nope, don't think so. Good. Um, so, Sid, uh, would you like to talk about uh, some of the other news we have to discuss? Sure. Well, let's go back into some uh, topics that we mentioned before. We mentioned Ruby coming to Shonen Jump, and we were speculating on when that would be, and it has been confirmed that in this week's issue, issue 48, I believe, Ruby will be added to the lineup. Chapters will run weekly until it is caught up to the Japanese monthly releases, and I'm very interested in reading this series, and... I mean, reading the manga adaptation of the series and see how it, uh, how Ruby translates into the manga medium, considering that the big appeal of it is its amazingly animated and choreographed fight scenes. So seeing how that translates into the manga is going to be curious for sure. I, I I believe by the time this episode's out, though, yes, that it issue will have already, yeah. Uh, okay. And then uh, aside from that, we've, 
commented before on we'd love to see Dark Horse uh, continue their releases of Drifters and Blood Blockade Battlefront, and they have at least confirmed that they will be continuing their Drifters releases after a long three years since they've released Volumes 3, they will be continuing their releases in 2017 with Volumes 4 and 5. So I think the success of the Drifters anime has definitely influenced that, and I am very excited for that. Uh, and on, on another topic, we've mentioned before that Iconica Kill is coming to an end, and that end date has been confirmed December 22nd. Probably no surprise that people have been keeping up with Iconica Kill, like my brother, but yes, for the rest of us out of the loop, it does have a definitive end date. Now, to go on to some topics that we haven't mentioned before, uh, there are two th- big things happening with ebook reading right now. Uh, first, Amazon is offering a manga model of their Kindle ebook reader, only in Japan for now, but it'd be interesting if we see it in the States sometime. Uh, the manga model of their Kindle Paperwhite is an upgrade from their previous release. It offers more storage space, 32 gigabytes, other additional features, including a rapid page turn that allows readers to flip through uh, their digital, their manga like 33% faster. It also has a two-page display function, so you, you can display art side by side. Sounds really convenient and makes the manga reading experience really easy on the Kindle and digital. So it'll be interesting to see if that is replicated in by a U.S. service sometime. Also, J Novel Club is doing an ebook service for their light novels. Actually, it's going to be kind of a simulpub kind of service in which, like, new titles are added as they're published in Japan. Uh, they currently have four launch titles, Occultic Nine, Brave Chronicle, The Ruin Maker, My Big Sister Lives in a Fantasy World, My Little Sister Can Read Kanji. I only know Occultic Nine because, you know, the anime is airing the season, so I've heard about that. But, you know, this also seems like an interesting new development as well for, like, novel fans. We've also got some manga contests underway. We've uh, mentioned some manga, manga One app contests before, but they have a new contest coming out, and this one will be Mob Psycho 100 Team. Uh, Ooh. The deadline, actually, for that will have passed by the time we have mentioned uh, this, actually. Uh, it'll Because the deadline is was October 31st, but it'll be interesting to see some of the prizes to come out of that. But they have other contests coming up. Their next contest after the Mob Psycho 100 team is a, for a series that has a sports or club activities team. Entries should be 30 to 50 pages long, and they are due by November 30th. And then their contest after that will be a romantic comedy team with entries 28 to 40 pages long, and the deadline to submit for that will be December 31st. So if you weren't able to submit for the Mob Psycho 100 contest, you have two other cool contests to enter for Manga App. And, um, you know, winners receive some good prizes out of that. The grand prize winner gets $289. Uh, well, yes. I mean, it ranges from $289 all the way to $4,815 for the grand prize. So that's a, it's a, so they run some pretty cool contests for aspiring manga creators. Also, 
someone who runs uh, some pretty cool contests for manga, aspiring manga creators is the Silent Manga Audition. Uh, their seventh competition is underway, and the team for the current contest is Unforgettable Taste. Basically, you know, just kind of that nostalgic feeling you associate with food. Uh, what you've eaten, a memory of an unforgettable meal you had, something that lingers not only in your mouth, but in your heart. And so that you have to recapture those kind of sensations, those kind of feelings, and those moments in your manga submission uh, for the Seven Silent Manga uh, Audition Contest. This is open internationally. It's judged by Sakasha Hojo, creator of City Hunter, Tetsu Wahara, artist of Fist of the Note Star, as well as other creators, Ryuji Sugihara and Nobu Hiko Hori, uh, as well as many, as well as several, many others. The grand prize for the contest is $4,811 with other good monetary prizes for runners up. And you have quite some time to submit to this contest because the deadline to submit is March 31st, 2017. And you can either submit to them online or by mailing your entries to them directly. So some cool manga contests for aspiring manga creators internationally. Yeah, we should definitely uh, put those in the show notes. Oh, more certainly. Uh, and then going back to stuff that's happening digitally, uh, Kodansha and Katakawa have teamed up to put out 750 plus volumes of English translated Kodansha comics manga on Katakawa's Bookwalker global app service. The Bookwalker. That's a lot of reading. Yes. And the cool thing about this is that Bookwalker is a global app, meaning that it is very, it is an internationally available app. So these titles will be available for international audiences, not just inside the States, but, you know, all around. So this is great, uh, getting English translated manga in more hands, and there's a lot of uh, titles and a lot of content that's being added to Bookwalker. I, I really am going to have to check that out. Yep. So that's really cool. And then we get to something that may, is still rather controversial. Oh, no. But for the time being, seems to be successful. And that is DMP's Kickstarter for Under the Air and The Crater. Now, I don't know how much you want to dig into the uh, troubled past with publishing The Crater in the United States. I mean, we've mentioned it before in the last episode, but I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of still bad blood and a lot of bitter taste in a lot of fans' mouths over that. EMP, of course, is not responsible for what happened with that, and they can't really offer refunds because they're not associated with Kansas Publishing Club or whatever. What they are doing, though, is that they're offering uh, the crater as an add-on in this Kickstarter at a discounted price at $22, which, I don't know, I don't think that satisfies anyone who got chipped out of their money last Kickstarter, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know, if well, you want the book, it's 
better than nothing, I guess. But I think it, I think it was a wise strategy not to make the crater the thing you're paying for and just calling it a free add-on at a certain level. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that was a smart move too because I don't think anyone. I, I think a lot of people would be a lot less excited to do another Kickstarter for the crater specifically. But if it's just an add-on, if it's not being funded, if it's not being funded through the Kickstarter, but it's just being available through the Kickstarter, that is a bit of a difference. And I can see people being a little more open to that. Yeah, because because otherwise, like you said, because and it, and it wasn't DMP. It was, you know, it was somebody who had never really published before. Yeah. So they'd gotten it. They were going to do this thing. And then they, they funded it, and they quickly became overwhelmed with what they actually had to do to make this happen. And as far as I know, that's, that just fell off a cliff. Yeah, literally someone who had no prior experience in the publishing industry. I did some research on the on the founder of uh, Kansai Publishing Club, Android Nefo, and he has a legal background. Like, he studied law at some, uh, at some various places, so I think I can understand how he managed to convince Tesca Productions in the first place to give him the license to the creator. But the fact that he had no publishing background and no remote clue of how, of like the process of publishing a book and distributing it, it's no surprise that that Kickstarter just fell flat on its face and that company went under like within a year of being founded. I, I, I will say I have some misgivings about the DMP perpetual Tesca Kickstarter model. Like every, if you want any, if you want any Tesca, we'll give you every Tesca, but we're going to kickstart it and it's going to be set at $30,000 or you know, $25,000. And it like Wonder 3, I believe was 30,000. Wonder 3 was even more than that. It was like 46,000. Yeah. Yeah. And like Wonder 3 is not something that has a huge base, you know, like it's, it's not a Tez, it's not a uh, Astro Boy or a Blackjack or even you know some of the better known uh, short things. I mean, the better known stuff has already been brought over here by other publishers. Besides the be like yeah. Vertical published uh, published like Blackjack and Buddha, a bunch of big stuff, and then Dark Horse did Astro Boy, Viz did Phoenix. So like the big big Tesca stuff has already been brought over here, and now it's just the mountain of like smaller works sure and 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 you know and i know that we've discussed this before there there are a lot of tezka fanatics like there are tezka scholars people who you know they 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 don't necessarily read every manga but they will read everything tezka puts out because you know they've they've deemed him to be the important artist and you know and and his his way he certainly is um so you know if they're willing to pay i mean uh, what the the this Kickstarter we're talking about sits at twenty thousand dollars with l- less like about three hundred backers, so people are paying significant amounts of money to get it to this point. Uh, you know, there are some super backers involved here, so you know, if the passion's there and they can fund it, that's great, that's fine. Uh, I personally probably won't be giving to too many of these. I haven't done it so far, um, but it, yeah, the kickstarting Tesca is going to be a cottage industry for a long time. And I really hope Viz or somebody like them can just reprint Phoenix, because that's really what I want to read. Uh, and I hope I don't have to kickstart 12 volumes of it. It's my, my one request. Well, the good thing about Phoenix is that it is available digitally, the entire series. Yeah, I was just about to ask that. So you can read it digitally and you just buy all the volumes on Viz's website. So it is still available. 
I'm just a print old timer. I mean, I'm the That's same way. Problem. So it'd be nice if this <laughs> could, you know, reprint yeah. it. But I'm satisfied with it at least being readily available. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah, but anyway, but, but I get the stigma. I guess the to close it off here. It seems the stigma with the crater hasn't really uh, hurt. It, it hasn't really faded. It hasn't faded, but it also hasn't hurt the success of this campaign because which I'm glad to see. Yeah, I mean it's four yeah. days in. It's pre- It's like a seventy five percent funded, pretty much. They 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 they're actually at less than five grand. So. Yeah, less than five grand left to go. Heck, they might make their stretch goal to publish Melody of Iron, which, uh, I mean, we'll see. I mean, that's at 50000 That's if they get $50,000 for this. So, but, you know, I mean, with this... With, so, so th- that does bring the question, though. Like, will, will that mean that Melody of Iron becomes a separate Kickstarter if it doesn't succeed this time, or is that just an option that's gone? I mean, if they don't... If they, if they don't reach that... Uh, reach the goal, I assume they'll have to do another they'll do have to do another kickstarter for melody of iron at some point down the line see that 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 makes that doesn't make a ton of sense to me though because if that's if the stretch goal is to get to melody of iron we have to presume that's going to be twenty five thousand dollars because that's that's the price they set for this one Mm -hmm. um so so these so literally you're paying twenty five thousand more dollars to publish the next book uh it's the same price just double yeah I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it could certainly happen that they've gotten this far, but I, I'm still not sure how huge the Tezka market really is. And maybe that's another reason that they're even kickstarting in the first place. I can't say. I mean, I can understand the argument. I mean, I would. it would be nice if they didn't need to do these kickstarters, if they could publish them on their own without the, without their use, but... I do like I I am a avid Tesca fan myself, so I mean I am o- I'm always eager to get see more of his stuff published in English. I have contributed to most of DMP's Kickstarters in the last couple of years for Tesca, as well as the one for Kimigori Orange Road. So I I, f- I haven't been let down by them in terms of receiving a quality product and quality translations for their Tesca books. So I, I'll support, I, I think I'll always just support them because I just that big a fan of Tesca. Uh, but I can understand people's issues with the model. I don't think it's like the ideal model, but uh, I think that is, it is, I, what I, it I, is. Think, I think it does speak to the fact that these books aren't like big names for one thing. And then the, even though Tesca is such a revered author, the market for his works is this niche audience. So it really does depend on the support of that audience to get any of these smaller titles out he- out here in the West in English. I, I, I forgot to mention it, but there was some uh, trouble with launching this Kickstarter uh, last week in that originally when they launched it on uh, last Tuesday, they the, the shipping settings for several reward tiers uh, listed $15 for shipping when DMP's Kickstarters have consistently always been free shipping. So originally what they were going to do is they said they were going to give everyone a $15 rebate uh, after the campaign was over for the shipping tier, 
And so, you know, I even got an email saying, uh, add-on price noted down $22 for Crater, uh, rebate to be given after Ender campaign $15. So they were send- even sending out emails about, about that. But, uh, I guess after a couple hours, they realized, you know, this is un- gonna be unmanageable. We can't keep track of all of this. So they closed down the, they closed the Kickstarter and then they relaunched it again on Thursday. But I definitely, but I definitely think getting off on that rocky start also was like, oh man, I definitely put a lot of people out on ease because they were like, oh my god, so many problems with the crater. Yeah, it's pretty much cursed. Yeah, so. I mean, that was... But, but, uh, but it seems to be doing well now, though. Yeah, it's doing well. important thing. But that was a weird bit of trouble that had some people concerned. But... Yeah. I, di- I didn't think it was a big deal myself. I, I could... But, like, I could see, like, people's... I could see how people got frustrated with that because... Yeah. <laughs> but, I, uh, actually, that does it. With, uh, that does it for news. So we can get on to the meat of the show here, and that is... Casey's horror manga recommendations. Absolutely. So actually, but before we go on, so Casey, uh, I know you're a pretty big horror manga guy, but I know you're just a fan of the horror genre in general. If I'm correct here. Oh no, you're you're absolutely correct. <laughs> no, I, I am a fan of horror literature, film. Uh, I travel to go to haunted houses in different parts of the country. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I am I, I am a I'm a horror fanatic, but I, I definitely latched on to a. Uh, Horror manga, you know, as is, and horror comics in general. So, uh, I know you've been uh, you've been reading a lot of uh, titles in particular in preparation for the show, and uh, we we brought you on to, mostly because I I wanted I think both me and Sid wanted to read at least something for the show and talk about it, but I mean, me especially, I mean. Uh, I think both me and Sid knew that, like, we probably weren't going to have a lot of time to read uh, really more than one title. And we read the same title, too. Yeah, which we'll probably talk about that next week if, I mean, or maybe on this episode if we have time. I don't know. Well, it's a bit. Uh, well, 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 I, I understand yeah. it's actually a title I haven't read uh, that's legally available. So perhaps you can sell me on reading this title. Probably. Um, I guess, just, I guess just, just before we go on real quick, uh, we, me and Sid both read uh, Ajin Demihuman. Which is uh, all available on Crunchyroll, and I believe is being sold physically from uh, Vertical. Yes, I believe yes. so. Yes. Um, so yeah, that was something me and him, uh, me and Sid, both ended up reading. And uh, we originally wanted to wanted to read a couple of titles for the show, but then we decided, oh, let's let's have Casey on because he's actually uh, he uh, honestly Casey's probably the biggest horror fanatic that I I know honestly <laughs> on, twi- on Twitter at least. Um, so Casey. Uh, I of course we wanted to have you on to uh, maybe help, help recommend us, uh, especially me, some some horror titles because personally I'm I'm actually not too big of a fan of the horror genre in general. Especially I'm not a huge fan of horror movies because horror doesn't really most most horror genre media doesn't really scare me, and I don't. Sometimes I I feel like I fail to really understand the genre and what it's what it's going for and what what its strengths are. And I was hoping maybe through your recommendations that uh, maybe I can kind of get some insight on on what you like in particular. Well, certainly, you know, I, I'll say this about horror: it's not it's a matter of finding the horror for you. Um, yes, a, a lot of hardcore people like myself, uh, we tend to like. I don't think that many like really heavy horror fans are often scared of horror so much as we're just chasing particular aesthetics that we've grown up to love or even just 
I don't know. You're chasing a vibe more than you're chasing actual terror most of the time. Like there, something will come along that actually scares you, and that stuff gets you know skyrocketed and gets a lot of buzz. And the people who aren't as into horror go, I don't get it. Why is this such a big deal? <laughs> like, like I, I'm starting to like. I feel like as I grow older, I'm starting to I'm starting to realize that I guess the um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the uh, the appeal. There we go. The appeal of horror. I feel like especially. Um, Especially when it comes to stuff on the Japanese side, is the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you 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 are always chasing atmosphere. I mean, I I think that uh, truly great horror. You know, there's 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 a lot of good horror. You know, but I think truly great horror, for at least as far as my definition goes, is stuff that uh, chases an atmosphere more so than a jump or a shock. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think things that are just explicit to be explicit and you know actually quite a few things on my list are going to be that way so apologies in advance if i'm making this too pretentious and i deliver a bunch of gore <laughs> uh, picks but uh you know really great movies and great literature and stuff is stuff that puts you in a moment and puts you in a vibe and generates dread and for some people that becomes very frustrating because you know perhaps what they're looking for is something to jump out and scream boo well you know uh i i've personally been in theaters full of uh, teenagers on opening nights for horror movies, you know, things like The Conjuring and Insidious, and all these James Wan ghost movies that come out now, you know, where, where most of the audience is just staring at their cell phones and they don't react to anything until something jumps out and screams, and then they're like, <laughs> then, 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 then they all jump and go, oh, I got me, and then they're right back to their cell phones, you know, so. You want an immersive experience. You want something that keeps your attention, keeps your eyes glued to the screen all the way through. Exactly. And, and, and you know, and some of those movies I'm talking about, they can still do that, it's just I think a lot of things are realizing that the audience is just grabbing you real quick and then letting you go again. It's it's unfortunate. It's a sign of the times. And, I, and this is not me lambasting millennials, because God knows I am one, and I'm always on my... I, I, all these times I'm screen-capping manga and putting them on my uh, Twitter feed, I, I, I only really have my cell phone. I don't even use a computer. So like I'm just taking photos of comics I'm reading and putting them yes, online. Same. So, you know, it's... Yeah, so don't let me sound like I'm too detached here. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, you're looking for an atmosphere. You go to a haunted house. I mean, sure, any haunted house can have a guy leap out of the dark at you and scream. But yeah. the, really, the really good ones have immersive sets and moments and feelings and just they, they really know how to work you beyond the jump. So, yeah, that's I think great horror is, as you said, the appeal in it is atmosphere. But... Uh... I like I, I we were kind of talking about this off mic. I was I was kind of looking I was looking forward to what you had to what you had to recommend mm-hmm. uh, because I I knew that I mean I know just to get it out of the way because it's uh it's it's something we have to mention if we're talking about horror manga. I know that you're a, you're a huge fan of uh, Jinji Ito. Uh, yeah, my I mean it's it's been my icon on Twitter for forever. Uh, <laughs> Tomio from the story Red Turtleneck, which you can read in Fragments of Horror, uh, the uh, current hardcover that Viz produced very recently. Um, and that's okay. a story about a about a young man who uh, cheats on his girlfriend with a with a um, some sort of witch, and she curses him so that if he ever lets go of his head, his head will fall off. So he oh. has to hold he has to hold his head, and she proceeds to I don't know fuck with him in various ways to try to make him let go of his head. It's kind of a silly story. It's more played for comedy than horror, but it's a rather explicit comedy. Uh, mm. But yeah, we, we do have to touch on Junji Ito. Ito is the giant of horror manga. He's been published for many, many, many years now and has shown no sign of stopping. Uh, and I like Ito primarily because he produces short works. Uh, 
I'm really hard pressed to think of any Ito work I know, and I'm sure someone will write in and let me know how wrong I am about this. But uh, any Ito work I know that goes longer than like three volumes, you know, uh, like like what I'd recommend for Ito, and this is the most basic entry level pick I could have given you, but uh, it, it's Uzumaki. It's Uzumaki. Uh, Uzumaki is it's what I, it's what got me started on this path. Uh, I, I started buying these in 2001, back when Viz was releasing them as a it's part of a line they called pulp i miss pulp terribly it was it was truly a line for adults they had very subversive unusual comics uh it was the first place in the u.s where Genji ito was published it was the first place in the u.s that taiyo matsumoto of ping pong was published mm. uh they, they published tekken kinkrete back then they called it black and white they've since reprinted it but yeah pulp was a magazine that sadly did not last very long but they did print very provocative manga I'm still trying to track a lot of these down, but sadly, manga speculators have really ruined that market for me, so everything I want is $70 or more on the aftermarket these days. <sighs> yeah, that's unfortunate. Actually, I, I have, uh, of the very little Junji Ito I've read, I have read Uzumaki. I, I read that particularly when I was still in high school, and I don't think I... I remember being very down on it, because I, I, cause like back then, I definitely was not a fan of horror, because I, I back then... I, I definitely didn't understand the appeal of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely back then, I was more like, oh, horror doesn't scare me. I don't I don't like this. this is stupid. So I <laughs> I was very down on Uzumaki, and I, I told my friend who let me borrow it, I told her, hey, like, I'm not really feeling it. And she, like, legitimately got upset with me and almost <laughs> wanted to beat the shit out of me. And I was like, and rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing with Uzumaki is, and, and the thing with Ito in general is, I, I don't necessarily find Ito frightening. Um, yeah. I, I find Ito's imagination, however, to be very interesting. Yes. Uh, Ito is very good at being able to create uncanny imagery that you really wouldn't see anywhere else or by anybody else. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're more weirded out by what Ito produces, and that, that sort of create that generates some unusual feelings, but I don't know that Ito necessarily terrifies me. I think he sometimes he revolts me a little bit, and I'm I'm fascinated by that. Anything that can anything that can scratch this itch in my brain that isn't really fulfilled by other kinds of art, uh, I come to horror for because uh, horror can produce uncanny imagery and things that are so unusual that you're not going to see them in any other genre. Uh, so for Uzumaki, for example, it's just it starts very simply. Uh, you know, a a man becomes uh, a rather uh, just sort of vanilla Japanese businessman, uh, father figure becomes obsessed with uh, the shape of a spiral, and it gradually consumes his life, and then literally consumes his life, and then everything spiral-shaped turns against this small seaside town, uh, and manifests in completely unusual ways, at one point literally sucking a girl's eyeball into her own face in one of my favorite pages in Ooh, comics. I do remember that, yeah. Hey, that's an iconic image right there. Oh yeah, that is that. If you look up Uzumaki, I guarantee that is one of the pages that will be pop, that will pop up. Uh, and you might very well just uh, you might very well if you Google image search image search some of these things, pull up my own Twitter feed talking about them. But uh, Uzumaki just I, I don't want to give anything away here. It just it manifests in increasingly over the top ways to the point where it's gone so far over that it, it's the point of no return. Uh, and I, I think that's what Ito really excels at, is you start with a very simple premise, something completely mundane, and then it goes off the rails into this territory that nobody else is working in. Ito's interesting just because, 
as I said, he's been he's been published in the U.S. since 2001, and yet most of the attempts to publish Ito failed. Uh, hmm. There was a lot of there's so you know Viz did Uzumaki back in 2001. They also did they also did Gyo later. Yeah, read that one too. Gyo is the series, of course, where uh, fish and sharks sprout legs and start walking on land and then start rotting and then other things happen. Just putting it out there, the the OVA for that is I think is terrible. Yeah, no, it's there's not. Yeah, it's not good. Um, and I, I would even say that the Uzumaki live action movie is fine, but I'd much rather you read the manga. A lot of Ito stuff gets semi adapted in small, low budget ways, but they're just not the way to go. No, of course. Um, there's like a jillion Tomie films. Oh mm-hmm. well, yeah, and, and that's because there's a jillion Tomie stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those are great. Tomie is uh, it's essentially collected. It adds up to about three volumes. Uh, but they're all a bunch of short stories about, about this beautiful girl who people get obsessed with or jealous of, and in their obsession or jealousy of her, they brutally murder her, and then she comes back again and again like a like a human tumor and, and drives people to madness. Uh, cool thing about Tomie is, uh, well, not cool thing, <laughs> for me anyway, I, it's been published three times in the U.S., so I own two different copies, and I'm going to buy the third. Uh, <laughs> Because the third is finally a prestige volume. Viz, uh, Viz has really started treating new Ito books as an event. Yeah, they used to be very cheaply printed. Uh, Dark Horse tried to print Tomie, and they abandoned it pretty quickly. Uh, Comics One did some uh, short stories, and they abandoned them. Uh, but now Viz is doing hardcovers, so there's a complete Uzumaki, and that is well worth your money. Yes, I have that really well-made book. There is a uh, complete Gyo, which does contain uh, Amagara Fault, which is very famous now on the internet. The Enigma of Amagara Fault. Uh, that that really blew up on Tumblr, of all things. Is that the one where people, like, crawl into holes or something? Yes, there's, there's a mountain with holes shaped like people, and they all seem to be specific to the person who finds them. And hmm. then they, you know, people, people start screaming, this is the hole for me. This is my hole. And they all kind of climb into it. And something shocking happens. And I'm not going to spoil it because if you haven't read it. Yeah, you know, I've I've definitely heard of that. And I, I haven't read it myself. Um, well, the, the good news is that Gyo, the Gyo hardcover does contain that short story. So, Well, I need to run out to the bookstore and buy that right now. <laughs> so they, 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 they do recognize that became a meme. And I do think that. Part of the reason that Ito is enjoying his current success in America, he's always been semi-successful in Japan, as these things go. Although largely printed in magazines for women. Hmm. Also, former the guy was a former dental assistant uh, <laughs> before he became huh. a big mangaka. He won the Kazuo Umezu Award for Tomie pretty early on in his career, oh, and wow. then didn't look back. Uh, very, very sweet, unassuming guy, too, if you see interviews with him. Like, he's... You would never know that this man is a master of strange horror, or that he thinks the way he does. He, you know, his his studio space is the mo- is like just barren and wooden, and like nothing about it suggests that he's a big horror guy. Uh, wow. But but you know, except for his new pages that have like somebody falling apart or rotting or getting eaten alive or something. Uh, you know, he's he's got a great imagination. Also, uh, Tomie is getting a seven hundred and fifty two page hardcover in December. Yeesh. That is all of the Tomie stories. This is printing everything ever done with this character. Oh, that's going to be a huge book. Yes, it is. It's it's rather massive, and it's to me. It's I think it's running like thirty five dollars the list price. You'll probably get it for like high twenties on most online stores. Honestly, that's that's pretty fair. 
And it's not just it's not just Viz that's getting into Ito now. Like I said, they also did uh, Fragments of Horror that was published over the summer. That's a bunch of short stories. Uh, now also Kodansha published uh, Cat Diaries, Yawn, and Moo. It's a semi-autobiographical horror comic from Ito about living with his wife's cats. I know. I've seen that around. That, that actually looks really interesting and really funny. I, I do want to read that. That's a fun book. Um, and he brings his typical style into it and really, really exaggerates the cats in horrific ways. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and also we're getting, uh, in January, we're getting, I believe from Vertical, uh, Dissolving Classroom, which is literally a series of stories where a classroom of people dissolve into, like, piles of ooze. So, Oof. yeah, you're, you're going to want to get those. <laughs> I keep confusing the Dissolving Classroom with the Drifting Classroom. Yeah, me too. We'll get to that one later. <laughs> well, um, you know, actually, something I want to bring up real quick that I I had just thought of while you were talking. Something I think kind of um, kind of kind of kind of on a different tangent here, real quick. Something I think that uh, I didn't realize about horror um, until really recently, because um, I. I'm sure all of us have seen, um, I forget the guy's username on YouTube, but the same guy who, um, who did that, uh, the fall of bleach video, which I, th- I think is a really interesting video on bleach in particular, but, uh, but, uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, he also did a really interesting video on Junji Ito and the horror genre in general, what makes it so appealing. And I oh. think, I think something that actually, uh, I was thinking about Uzumaki again, something that I think at first turned me off about Uzumaki and just horror manga in general is that, um, is that I, I think I was turned off by Uzumaki at first was because, uh, this, this particular person who made this video explains that, um, that, uh, in horror, you know, there's no real need to, when you, cause a lot of horror anime also does this as well. I'm starting to notice that, like, Horror anime at first is usually, I mean, the very few that are out there that are produced are usually pretty good at the start, but then they start like explaining things and the, and the mystery, uh, because of that is sort of gone when you kind of know what's up. But the, one of the appeals of horror is that you don't really fully understand what's going on. And I, I'm starting to realize that's kind of an appeal of horror too, that, um, I didn't really understand with Uzumaki because I was, I was probably disappointed with it at first because I was like, oh, they're not going to explain anything that's going on. Well, this is stupid. But now now I kind of understand that, like I said earlier, the one of the appeals of horror is also that you don't really know what's going on. And that's supposed to that's supposed to kind of feed into your into the atmosphere, into into how you feel about uh, uh, when you when you watch a horror movie or read something horror uh, in general. Yeah, this Vince is always more interesting than the reveal. Like what your yes. mind can imagine and what you think about what how how think why things are like you can imagine like something more horrifying than what actually will be. And so the best yes. horror always like feeds your imagination and keeps your guessing. And I love horror stories that always leave it a little bit to your imagination that don't ever fully explain everything perfectly and still leave you with questions and still leave you a little unnerved, a little in doubt. Yeah, I, I'm very glad you you brought this topic up. By the way, that I believe that person's name is Super Eyepatch Wolf. Yes, uh, the person who makes these videos. I haven't seen I haven't seen the Ito video, but they're exactly right. Uh, and that was actually a topic I was planning to broach because you're right. A big part of what makes horror work, and this is something that Ito excels at. Well, not actually. I take that back. Ito does it in a different way. Uh, but a big part of what makes great horror work is the suggestion of things. It's 
it's giving you a glimpse of something and then not showing you everything, like not explaining everything. And that's when I, I I'm going to go off on a slight rant again, because I, I brought up the movies of people like James Wan who make Insidious and Sinister. And I think no, no, he didn't make Insid- he didn't make Sinister, but Sinister's Wan-esque uh, and Conjuring. I, I think Wan is I'm, I'm very I'm both frustrated and fascinated by Wan because I think the storytelling choices aren't always there because in his movies, and I feel like this might be a studio notes kind of thing, they they feel the need to explain everything about the monster to you. They like you're yeah. gonna know the demon. You're gonna know the demon's name. You're gonna know how to beat it. You're gonna know its weakness. And I think that's why a lot of the old monsters don't scare us the way that they used to. We know all the rules, mm-hmm. and horror fans love rules, but at the same time, rules are very frustrating in creating something that's new and scary because. You know, okay, to beat a vampire, I put a stake in its heart, or I get it out in the sunlight. To beat a werewolf, I get a silver bullet, or you know, something something silver to stab through it. There are things you know about these monsters that make them less intimidating and more familiar. Yeah. And I think once once you step into familiarity with monsters, and you know, like I, I think the least scary thing in the world is a monster with a weakness, especially a known weakness. It's it sends audiences home satisfied, or you know, when you finish the book, you go, "Well, okay, well, that monster's not there anymore, and that's not scary, and I don't, I'm not scared of it anymore." But the thing that you can't beat is far scarier. The thing that's beyond you and that you can't totally comprehend is scarier than the thing that you know and can sum up and can easily tell, you know, can easily talk about its origins, its what it is, and how to beat it in a single paragraph. That there's nothing there anymore. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of horror movie franchises, the longer they go on, the, like, monsters get less interesting, less scary. Like, as the Halloween series goes on, are you really scared of Michael Myers anymore? Heck, no. once you learn that he's the brother of, uh, what's her name? Like, as soon as you learn that, then he's, then, again, a whole lot of the creep factor of him in the first movie is taken away. Yeah, as soon as they say, "Oh, he's related to Jamie Lee Curtis," you're like, "Really?" But you know, but it was never <laughs> meant. But it was never meant to be that way. You know, I, I just saw Halloween in a theater two days ago, uh, and the original movie they don't tell you really anything about I Michael know, Myers. And that's why the original movie is like so frightening because you yeah. don't know what's up with this guy. He's just like a he's just a serial, a crazy scarecrow killer who's after these people for no reason. It seems, and he seems very unstoppable too. Absolutely. And it happens to all of these big franchises. Horror that becomes a franchise becomes horror that's so familiar, and it it does less and less for you. I I still enjoy a lot of these sequels to, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and stuff, but a lot of them don't work the same way once you know what this thing is, and once once it's become a familiar friend rather than an unknown enemy. And the characters kind of become a joke after a while, too. Like, can you really take Jason and Freddy seriously anymore after a certain point? Freddy literally doesn't take himself seriously past the first three movies. He becomes this jokester, like, who puts on, who you know, who wears a Nintendo Power Glove and puts on sunglasses <laughs> at the beach. I, I mean, like, I, I mean, I guess at least with Freddy, he's still kind of a fun character. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, Freddy is, Freddy's still a blast because, you know, you can, do, you can do so much with the dream powers, you know, it's, and he's still got charisma. But like, it's, it's the same with zombie narratives now. Mm-hmm. I mean... A lot of zombies have moved away from being this thing that we're afraid of, and these like metaphors for consumerism and the Red Scare and all these other things that they used mm-hmm. to stand for, and now it's become like 
it's become an other that's convenient to kill. Like it's it, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of political baggage to like unload with zombies, and I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, <laughs> I'll save that for a, I'll save that for a different recording at a different time. We'll save it for the I am a hero episode. Uh, well, we're going to talk about that one too. So, <laughs> but uh, but with um, with zombies now, it's more about how do you kill a zombie. It's zombies are fun now. Walking Dead is less about the zombies anymore and more about how will these people kill each other and how will they kill the zombies this week. Uh, and, you know, and that's that's all well and fine. You know, I, I still follow and like zombie things, but it, it's a different genre now. So let's let's yeah. go back to Ito and what Ito does differently. Ito presents you with something uncanny, the shape of a spiral, uh, you know, a witch that's cursed you so you can't ever take your hands off your head, fish that sprout legs. Those are, and, and I'm just talking about legally available Ito. We'll get into not legally available Ito in a minute. Uh, one of my favorite examples, and again, when I say we're in the Ito Renaissance, it's true. Anything you can't legally get, people have translated on the internet now. There are scans of almost every Ito thing. And if they're not, I'm sure they're being produced as we speak. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite examples of an Ito, of a strange Ito story is uh, The Hanging Balloons. It's a short story about this town of people waking up one day, and they all go outside, and outside of their houses are balloons with their heads with nooses on the bottom that chase them relentlessly, hang you, and then fly away. <laughs> and you can't beat the you can't beat the balloons because if you pop the balloon, you pop yourself in graphic fashion. And they have voices, and they have voices of the people they've killed. They want to lure you outside with familiar people they've already hung, and there's no way to win. It's it's a hopeless story with a thing that's completely inexplicable and makes no sense. And it just works. Because how horrific would it be if something like that happened? And it's unwinnable. And, you know, it's just, it's something transgressive and strange to, like, to bring into a totally mundane setting. That's the same reason that Stephen King works. You know, Stephen King put these unusual things out, but it's all small town Maine. It's any town America, you know? It's yeah. It, it's, take, it's taken out of gothic castles and it's brought it into our living room. So yeah, that, that's that's what that's what that's what horror is. It, horror is, you know, horror is still the things we talked about, the familiar things, and I enjoy many of them. But horror is also weird horror. The horror that really still works on me is stuff that builds the atmosphere because it we can't explain it, we can't beat it, we don't know how, the laws by which it operates. And you know, compare other weird horror to Ito. Ito is very graphic and showing you exactly what these things are going to do and exactly what they are, but you still don't know what they are. There's no explanation for them. There's still an air and mystery to things. Yes. You don't know why this is happening to you, but you better believe it's happening and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, whereas other, you know, other really effective horror uh, stuff that I'm going to talk about later does the same thing, but does it in a way that you just get a glimpse of something. You, you don't, like it, it just builds dread by showing you very mundane things or creepy, creepy atmosphere, and then you'll maybe get like a couple panels just to show something really quickly. You don't know what the heck that is. Uh, a good example in movies is the films of David Lynch. Lynch, you know, does totally off the wall stuff, but out of nowhere, like for a, a character, uh, this horrifying character will wander into the frame for a minute, and then they're gone, and there's and they never come back, and there's no explanation for what they were meant or why they did what they did, and it sticks with you because you can't explain it. So, so Ito, uh, yeah, there, so much Junji Ito is available. I, I know we're, we're taking up a lot of time, so I'm going to move on to the next <laughs> one. Uh, but I, I can't recommend him more. I love him. He is, he is the king of strange horror manga. Yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like people who 
even even people who don't read a ton of horror manga even know enough about Jinji Ito and have probably had enough uh, exposure to him and his works. Uh, he's he's probably the most well known horror manga artist out there. I, I would say. Yes. Oh, certainly, certainly. Uh, so I guess we'll kind of jump down to his senseis real quick, or the people that you know, the the, the, the people that came before him, uh, and then we'll move on to some uh, unusual choices that you can read online and in print. Uh, so jumping, I'm going to jump around real fast. Uh, there's of course Kazuo Umezu, uh, who is you know pro- probably Japan's most famous. Uh, you know he's he's this very very charming old timer. He's still around. He always dresses in his red striped sweaters. Uh, you know he's he's responsible for a lot of really great horror shorts. Some of which uh, some of which are very effective, and some of which make absolutely no sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> isn't he also? Isn't he the author of um, what is it called? Cat Eyed Boy or something? I think that's the title. Cat Eyed Boy is one of his uh, that was released in the states. Uh, a few of his were released in the states. Um, most of them are out of print at this point. Ah, okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, Cat Eyed Boy was out. Um, then there was stuff like uh, Orochi. Orochi Volume One was printed, and that's uh, that's sort of a almost soap opera ish horror drama. Huh, uh, interesting. And, and that they didn't print all of that. They kind of came and went. I believe that was also part of the pulp line. Um, oh, okay. And there's stuff like you know, there's short stories and there's tales like Scary Book. Uh, but of course, uh, one of his most famous works, and you can get most of this in the state still, is the Drifting Classroom. Yes. Uh, which is about an elementary school who that just uh, disappears one day and reemerges in another dimension full of monsters and awful stuff outside and wow uh, people treating each other very terribly inside so it's 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 a very uncomfortable to read manga sometimes uh, so you know it's it's these teachers these children and these authority and you know. Uh, whoever was stuck in the school at the time, all trying to just survive for several volumes in this awful place, and it's it's people being horrible to each other. It's people getting eaten by monsters. It's people. It's just whatever awfulness uh, Umezu could think of. And for as kind and charming as Umezu himself is, he is very unkind to his characters. They, <laughs> like it doesn't matter if you're a if it doesn't matter, you know men, women, children, you're all gonna die. You're gonna be butchered horribly. You're going to be ripped apart. It's going to be rendered in extraordinary detail sometimes. Uh, but he is a fascinating artist. Although, uh, oddly enough, I, I believe he's better known in Japan, or at least as well known in Japan as a uh, as a humorist. So he, like, hmm. he, like, one of his famous creations is Makoto-chan, which is just this kid that gets diarrhea all the time. <laughs> like, and, and sings about poop, you know? Like, so... <laughs> like, that's, wow. But that's, that's Umezu. Uh, love him to death. Unfortunately, Drifting Classroom, a lot of the early volumes are pretty easy to get, but this is, again, like this was something that Viz printed back in like 2006, so right, most of it's available on Kindle still, thank goodness, because the print volumes, you get you can get like volume 1 and 2 for like $7, $10, but then you get like volume 5, 7, and 11, I believe those are the ones, because I've been trying to buy this recently, and then you get like books that are like $70, so it's the, wow. it's, it's the curse of all out-of-print manga, random volumes are just way too much. Yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, Umezu's great. Um, God, it was, there's another series of his that's rather infamous, uh, and it's it's all it's all fairly poorly scanned online, but it's it's a strange delight. Uh, oh, I think I know which one you're talking about. And that is fourteen. Yeah, 
14 is a manga that takes place in the year 2200. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and it is about a, uh, a lump of chicken that transforms into a superhuman named Chicken George. So when they... Um. they what yes, one day a lump of chicken from a meat factory grows into a man. Uh so he's a humanoid with a chicken head and he's trying to he's trying to fight for his rights, but he also like murders dogs and other things and uh, literally I I can't even hope to explain this to you. It's 13 volumes long. I think it's 20 volumes long actually. <laughs> it's it's a lot. Uh I sporadically tweet about it. I'm still making my way through it. But it, it's transformed from a series about a chicken that turned into a man to an environmental horror story into demons are everywhere and everybody that dies becomes demons. And like one of my favorite panels from this comic is like as the world is ending, uh, there's a page where a woman just screams, please, Mr. President, legalize marijuana. <laughs> like, it's like a dying planet where all the plants have turned against humanity are dying and like we're all everyone's dying and demons are everywhere but the only thing we need is for the president to legalize pot right now <laughs> like it's like there's any reason to care about that at all just do it man it's, there's nothing left we might as well we're gonna die soon <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's uh extraordinarily strange uh, it, I, can, it, I wish I wish you could see me right now. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've been, I've been in constant awe ever since you even like mentioned it. <laughs> this is kind of amazing. It's an incomparable. It's, it's an incomprehensible mess. Uh, another page I love from the beginning of the series is this guy's girlfriend comes home, and she's like, she's like, why is all this, why is there all this blood in the room? Hey. There's two dead dogs in the toilet. Like it's just like one question answers the other. <laughs> so, so, basi- so basically, any other day at Iraqi's house, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. This is Iraqi is the world's greatest pet murderer. I, I would I would love it if this was just an autobiography of of Iraqi. <laughs> well, we don't we don't really know what he does behind closed doors beyond draw manga till he dies. So, I mean, there, there, there is a secret to him staying young, whether or not that was convincing the president to legalize marijuana or drinking the blood of children. I don't know, but I mean, I mean, how, how do you how do you think he stays so young? <laughs> yeah, Araki is an immortal. Um, <sighs> but yeah, so so read 14 if you want to mess or just watch my Twitter feed, because I will be tweeting more about this series and probably hashtagging it under 14. So both both, both sound pretty entertaining. Yeah, so just, it's, it is an incomparable, it's a little nightmare mess, and I love it. Uh, so, <laughs> moving on, uh, there's also another artist who's enjoying a bit of a uh, publishing renaissance in the States, and that is uh, Shigeru Mizuki, uh, best known for uh, Gegege no Kitaro. I love the I love the theme song for that for that. I tweet, I tweeted about this uh, the other day. I like I was I'm 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 over here looking for something to read for Halloween. Uh, little do I realize months months ago I bought the first like prototype English volume of Kitaro and I'm mm-hmm. like, wow! I could have just read that. Why didn't I read that? And I feel kind of dumb now. I should I should really get to that at some point because I have been really interested in reading some of Mizuki's works for a while now. Yeah, Mizuki is uh, Mizuki is almost more than a mangaka in Japan. He is. He's, yeah, he's he is. I know he is like a, a he's like a cultural icon over there. Like, yeah, he's, uh, he's massive. Recently deceased, uh, rest his soul. 
Yes. Um, but he was he was a huge cataloger of yokai stories and stories about monsters and ghosts. You know, he gathered all these things and redrew them and did his own manga about them and monster encyclopedias and uh, there's there's all these charming stories about Mizuki like running around like in his like sixties uh, and seventies like going to places like England and looking under rocks to try to find fairies like mm-hmm. uh, you know he's a he's a man that lived to a very old age and he said the secret to success was eating hamburgers every day like <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah uh, he 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 lost his arm in World War Two uh, learned to redraw with his other arm I believe. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, so he's he's also written uh, since we're talking about horror, uh, real world horrors. Uh, he's also written a few stories about his war experiences. That's uh, that's Showa, I believe, right? Well, Showa is Showa is his semi autobiographical stories about the history of Japan from before World War Two to like relatively modern times. Oh, okay, uh, so it, okay. so it's it's through his own life, like things he saw going on around him. Uh, there's okay. also. There's also one more specifically. It's and again, it's semi autobiographical. Not everything in it is true. Uh, there's another book that was, these are all been printed by Drawn and Quarterly, uh, and yes. they're tra- they're translated by uh, the number one Mizuki superfan Zach Davison. Uh, but uh, Onward to Our Noble Deaths is his other war stories book that's available in English. Also, uh, there's Nonanba, which won the Angolame French Award for best comic a few years ago. Uh, and that is that is Mizuki's story about the old woman that lived uh, with him and his family, who told him all the ghost stories that he grew up with. Oh, that uh, sounds really cute. Yeah, it's 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 a fairly sweet book. Has its sad moments, um, but yeah, it's just more stories of his childhood, and then of course his most famous creation, uh, Gegege no Hitaro, which is about a one-eyed uh, demon boy uh, and his father, who is literally his missing eye. <laughs> Uh, who who hangs out with him and all the monsters, the silly monster adventures they get into together. Gekkei no Hitaro is important to me because it was, um, when I was first getting into anime, obviously I'd seen things like Robotech and Voltron and Sailor Moon, and I didn't know, well, I didn't see Sailor Moon yet, but I didn't know that those things were different than other cartoons. I just assumed they were the same as any cartoon. There's no special distinction between anime and U.S. produced materials. And uh, my, one of my older cousins used to, he had like, he had posters of Akira and stuff in his room. But the most the most memorable thing for me was that he had these tapes he got from a Japanese pen pal of some sort. And they were like recorded off the television old school anime. So I... Wow. And they were in Japanese. So I didn't understand a word, but, you know, he put them on. So I so that's how I saw like a, a random episode of Lupin the Third. And that's how I saw an episode of uh, Gekege no Kitaro. Uh, so I always wanted to know what that one-eyed boy thing was. And <laughs> eventually I found <laughs> out. But that, that like... Trying to find these things was part of my early journey into being an anime fan. So, uh, wow. but yeah, but yeah, they're 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 gradually printing a lot of Kitaro. So please support those efforts if you're even at all interested, because I'd really love to see uh, Drawn and Quarterly get a lot of that stuff out here. But they are a small publisher, so they could really use your help. Yes. Okay, so so let's you know now that we've covered the you know like the sort of the semi Mount Olympus of these things. Uh, <laughs> We, we, we've also touched on earlier, you know, there, there's a lot of mainstream stuff that fits the horror category. Uh, you have your, you know, you have your Attack on Titans, you have your Tokyo Ghouls. Uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure has a lot of horror elements. Particularly I mean, Phantom Blood. Particularly Phantom Blood. But there's there's stuff that goes on later that would not be out of place in, like, an Ito manga. I mean, Araki himself is a huge fan of horror movies, and you can see a lot of those references and homages in Part 3, Stardust Crusaders in particular. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so there is a lot of mainstreaming. Uh, I'm going to talk about a few that aren't necessarily horror, 
but have horrific elements. Uh, one of the ones I really like is Naoki Urasawa's Monster. Yes. Yes, I, I've I've watched a little, I've watched a lot of it on Sci-Fi, and then I just I never got the chance to finish it. But from the little I've seen, I I, I totally love it. Oh, you philistine! You gotta read Monster. <laughs> I know. I I want to. I want to get back to it. I really do because I don't even remember how much I watched of it. But again, like that's actually Monster was one of the few anime that like I got my dad to watch, and like he doesn't he doesn't really like cartoons much at all. But then again, he also ended up watching stuff like Soul Eater and Bubba Bo, which I don't know how that happened. But <laughs> <laughs> Monster, Soul Eater, and Bubba Bo—that is definitely an eclectic. Uh, array of anime that you randomly got your dad into. Uh, a, friend of mine, a friend of mine actually did the same with his mom. Um, I, I think her like the only anime she's really into are Voltron and Monster. Uh, <laughs> but but she you know she went to a con with him and dressed as like she made like an outfit out of the story page books from the Nameless Monster children's book. Oh wow! Uh, so you know it's it, man, it, it's, you guys had cool. You got you got you guys knew cool parents. My <laughs> my mom, the only anime my mom ever liked was Naruto. <laughs> uh, see, see if it makes you feel any better. I think the one anime that my mom has ever showed interest in was School Rumble, and that's about it. School Rumble is good though. I like School Rumble. Yeah, my parents have no interest in any anime at all. Uh, my my dad. I think my dad begrudgingly liked that I liked Sailor Moon because at least to him that was like proof that was proof that I also liked girls, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, and I am bisexual, but still like, it was like to my dad was like, well, at least I know you like some anime babes and nothing else, you know, so like, yeah, you know, you go go watch them uh, skimpy clothed girls on. Yeah. Although, although my, my, you know, like the same coin, my step, my stepmom once tried to like, have an aha moment with one of my volumes of Ranma One Half that I used to buy uh, because you know, like there, there's nudity in it. She's like, ah, I see, there's nudity. <laughs> like, it's like that's why you're reading. I'm like, no, not really. Hmm. But, wow. But, you know, it is, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I think that's a perfect example, though. I think Monster is a story, manga or anime. I watched the anime first. That's one of the rare cases where that was true of me. And now. Now that Viz is thankfully publishing all of the manga, I can read that as well. Uh, they well, put them they, all they did publish it before, but now, yeah, they put it out in omnibus form. So now it's yeah, it, it's now like nine volumes instead of like the high twenties or whatever it was eight, before. Eighteen, eighteen. There we go. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so that's it's a great series, and I would recommend that one because it is quite accessible, as you said, even for people who don't like anime or manga. Uh, it. I, I really liken it to uh, Orasawa doing kind of a Thomas Harris uh, Silence of the Lamb slash Hannibal kind of thing. Yeah. Um, by the way, Hannibal, the TV series, is anime. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. <laughs> uh, oh. it, it is very anime. I mean, at one point you even have uh, Hannibal and Will Graham saying Nakama to each other. <laughs> like in one piece. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. It, I laughed so loud when that scene happened. It's in season three. But, you know, and they, they, they even have, like, a, car- a Japanese character come in to define what Nakama is. Like, I, I wonder what the One Piece podcast guys would think about that. I, I've sent it to them. They know. <laughs> 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 but uh, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but, and they even, def- they even kind of define it the same way that really insistent fanboys with a translation do, where it's like, it's a friend that's bigger than family. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's a very important friend. Uh, but, but yeah, so if you like thrillers, uh, this is a really great thriller. It's set in 80s Germany, and it's a doctor who it's a doctor who saves a child who ends up growing up to be a really vicious serial killer. 
and the doctor feels personally responsible, as, especially as the serial killer comes back into his life and keeps ruining his life and frames him for murders and puts him on the run. So it's it's several volumes of him chasing this individual and the other associates who he draws to himself in a cult-like fashion. Uh, so he's running around 80s Germany, and it's very it's very, very interesting series. It's so. the ultimate Gerd versus evil story. <laughs> I wouldn't quite put it that way, but yeah, it's, re- it's no, a really good... No, I really good would, because the entire <laughs> conflict of the series is this moral question about, like, will Tenma kill Johan? Will he... Yeah, will, will, he, he, will take, he reduce himself to that level? Is that the right thing to do? And the series grapples with that moral question that Moral Dilemma Tenma faces. That conflict, because Tenma is kind of like the ultimate, I would call him like the ultimate superhero in a way. Like, he's a really good person. Like, he, mm-hmm. he's driven to, by doing good. And so that's why so many people don't want him to shoot Johan. They don't want him to, like, leave a black stain on his moral character. And, like, is, is like yeah. swelling his soul and stuff. So I, I and Johan is kind of like this, this completely amoral, like this completely cold, calculating, evil creature. He is kind of like the embodiment of like pure evil. I think a true monster in human form. And I definitely, so I definitely would say it's like a real good versus evil story. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, he, Johan is an unabashed sociopath. And you're right. The, the big conflict of the series is not. You know, when will he find him? It's it's what will he do when he does find him? Yes. Uh, so it's yeah, it's it's fantastic though. And there's a, again, there's a great children's book in that called The Nameless Monster, which gets referenced a lot. Uh, yeah, so I'd recommend that one highly. Uh, there's another uh, author who I think does a really great job with horrific elements, but doesn't necessarily write horror, and that is Inio Asano. Oh yeah. Uh, Inio Asano deals more in existential horrors though than flat out uh you know what we what we'd consider in the horror genre uh particularly I, i'd look at things like um oyasumi pun pun mm-hmm. which is uh translated as uh I believe, good night uh, good night pun pun yeah i just bought the first volume of that um and then uh also nijigahara holograph mm-hmm. which is available from fantagraphics books uh good night pun pun is all released in three omnibuses by viz well i mean it's they're still continuing to release it's a, it's a pretty long series yeah, but uh, Asano does, and I, again, I caution to call these horrors, but these, it's truly existential horror. It's, it, it's people brought to their most despairing lowest points. Like, like even, even something like uh, Salamine, which is ostensibly a story about a, you know, a girl starting a band, is still a story marred by very deep personal tragedy and depression, and how, li- how life can change in an instant, and it, it, it'll haunt you forever. You know, so it's, uh, these are definitely books I would not recommend if you're like, I don't know, it depends on how engaged you are with sad art, because I am always depressed after reading Asano books, <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, love they're, them. They're always about depressed people who undergo some really tragic things in their lives, but they're also all coming of age stories, so generally by the end there is, like, it does leave off on this moment of optimism, this moment of moving forward in your life. Generally, but not always. Uh, well, Poon Poon goes to some really disturbing places, but, you know, the ending... Nijigahara Holograph goes to very violent places. Like, it's... And not not just, like, physical violence, but also, like, sexual and emotional violence are part of these things. And But they, I think they're very powerful works, and I think they're important to talk about in this context, because, you know, it's not, it's not all ghosts and rattling chains. It's 
how how horrible can things become and can you endure it? Yeah, I, I honestly, even as um, even as a high schooler, I feel like uh, as turned off by horror as I used to be. I uh, I feel like even I feel like even as a high schooler, I, I I I found that kind of horror a lot more interesting because it was a little more relatable. Mm-hmm. Sure, and and I, I think there is certainly a place for all of those kinds. Because uh, yeah, I I love Inio Asano. Um, I, gosh, probably the. Probably the most explicit transgressive artist I've talked about so far. Just, yeah, you can read Nijigahara Holograph, you can read Salonim, you can read Midnight Pun Pun. These are all available in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they are very mature titles in their way, so be forewarned. But I recommend them with the highest recommendation. But just know that this is a very cynical mind. There definitely seems to be quite a bit of depression within Asano and within Asano's works. Yeah. But uh, but it's, it's, it, it's by the end generally. They... Oh no, yeah, I, I agree. No, there, there there is still very uplifting things yeah. about you know uh, about coming into your own, but just the the journey to get there is very yeah. Rough. You gotta go through a lot of heartbreak <laughs> to get to the uh, happy ending. But yeah, I mean, I've recommended Poon Poon uh, many uh, several times before. I've been very happy that it's been successful. Uh, in English, I've enjoyed like all the other Sana works I read. Definitely uh, among my favorite mangaka, he's he's a great great artist. Like, def- yeah, his works have the highest recommendation for me as well. If you haven't watched it, uh, Urasawa has a show called Urasawa no Manbin where he. Oh yes, yes we, we've mentioned that. We've yeah. mentioned okay. that on the podcast before. It's, well, there yes. is an Ine- there is an Inio Asano episode. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fascinating. Yes, so, yes. Check it out. Okay, so moving on. Um, another legally available as of recently comic is I Am a Hero by Kengo Hanazawa. Dark Horse has taken it on themselves to print this in omnibuses. I don't know how well this is doing for Dark Horse, but I hope it's pretty well. I- I've only read what's available in English so far, so I can't tell you you know, what's go- what it's going to be or what it becomes. But at least in the early going, I- I'm really fascinated by this series because it's it's maybe one of the most negative betrayals of otaku I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> wow. In a comic ostensibly for otaku, it's like, you know, our, we have a we have a lead character who is a, like, I believe he's in his 30s or nearing his 30s, uh, who, who, you know, is somebody in Japan who owns a gun, is part of a gun club. He's got, he's got a, you know, relationship that's not really going anywhere. He's a manga artist's assistant, but can't make the break to writing his own material. And he, he deeply resents the world around him. He's paranoid. Uh, he's a very unreliable narrator in that he seems to have quite a few hallucinations and things that... So we're never sure... Even he's not sure when he first starts seeing monsters if he's actually seeing them or if he's just freaking out again. But it's, it's a, it, is a, it is a zombie story. It's a... It is a Japanese, you know, uh, zombie outbreak story. Although these zombies don't work by traditional rules, they're much stronger and faster and more twisted. Uh, but this asks a really interesting question, uh, and I, I'm told there's a scene in the, about this later, and I can't wait to get to it. But there's uh, there's uh, the question of like, how would people on Two Chan handle a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Hanazawa really doesn't seem to like nerds very much, <laughs> like. Wow. Uh, there, there's some very raw feelings about some of the people that inhabit the more seedy corners of the web, and you know, you you've met them. They're usually eggs or people with a uh, you know at certain kinds of uh, viewpoints. But 
he he doesn't really pull any punches with these people. <laughs> and some of it will feel like self-reflection on yourself, perhaps. You'll see some of your own negative attributes, and some are so over the top that you just hope that no one's really that way. But as a as a zombie apocalypse free, it works. Hanazawa's got really interesting artwork. It does take a, it takes a little while before you get to the apocalypse in the story because they're really building up the how awful this main character's life is before the outbreak and how some people would just jump into this situation and think of it as a second chance or something else they can do and be important now. So it's a really great series uh, so far. You know, I don't. I, I it's it's fairly long now, so I don't know if the end game will be worth the start, but. As of the start, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I bought the first volume of the series a while ago because, uh, I mean, I'm I Jason Thompson like uh, really endorsed it like oh, uh, yeah. back on House of Atonsa manga a long time ago, and that really intrigued me. So like I bought it like when it came out the first volume, but I haven't gotten a chance to read through it yet. But yeah, that is it's definitely a series that seems totally up my alley. I, I really like slow burns. I'm really interested in like the take on this character on this character and this like commentary on like otaku culture it seems like kind of he he's doing with otaku culture what romero did what consumerist culture in his dead films yes this is this is a very japanese take yeah all right so let's let's get to uh, uh let's get to an upcoming license i'm actually really excited about oh uh, okay yeah so uh, recently, Dark Horse announced that they were going to publish H.P. Lovecraft's The Hound and Other Stories, the manga adaptations by Gotenabe. Oh yeah, we we did we did. I think we reported this a little while ago, didn't we? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Tanabe is a fantastic artist who draws really beautiful Gothic settings and monsters. His monsters look incredible. So I'm really excited to see uh, these in print. I hope this leads to more, uh, because The Hound, The Temple, and The Nameless City are very like very lesser Lovecraft works, and, and Tanabe has since been branching off and publishing manga about more better-known works, like The Color Out of Space, The Haunter of the Dark, and uh, I believe as of September has just started working on In the Mountains of Madness, which is probably one of the most famous stories. Uh, so I'm hoping this does well so we can see more of Tanabe in English. But uh, I, I did want to touch on... Because I, I feel like I can't bring up Lovecraft in Japan without just saying I, I'm always sort of fascinated by Japan's love affair with H.P. Lovecraft. You know, in general, modern horror is really in love with Lovecraft, and there's there's definitely some good writing there, and there's definitely a person who uh, brought together what we refer to as cosmic horror and helped uh, helped weird horror. This kind of horror that I was talking about, where it's a hopeless situation, but and you don't never you don't ever entirely understand what it is you're confronting. But Lovecraft himself was a humongous racist, and in particular, like, he, he, Lovecraft hated every race. Like it's not just like he hated a lot of the white races too. Just they weren't white enough for Lovecraft. Uh, and a lot and a lot of his a lot of his viewpoints were born from this sort of thinking. Like I don't want to get too deep into this, although. Uh, you know, I, I have been doing some research. I'd eventually like to assemble a weird horror and, uh, and uh, you know, cosmic horror and anime and manga panel for a convention. So in that research, I did find a letter that Lovecraft had written to a friend of his where he said that he wanted Japan to be uh, he wanted the the nation of Japan to be exterminated before they became a problem for white people. Oh, and this, wow. And this was pre-World War Two. So, like. It, I, I am fascinated that you know his his work has it kind of endured and become so adaptable in Japan. But 
you know, it is clearly a case for many people of, you know, love the art, hate the artist. And yeah. I, I, that's, <laughs> I think that's more than fair in his unfortunate case. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> but yeah, go. But but you know, what? I, I'm not the biggest fan of Lovecraft the man. I like some of Lovecraft the work, and I and I really like Tanabe Go's Lovecraft works. So go check those out. Uh, they're great adaptations. Um, moving on uh, to let's talk about some unlicensed stuff. Uh, some stuff that you can find on the web. Uh, I, I particularly, I'm going to name a few like short short works. So maybe you know, if you if you get them, you can just look at them real quick. Some of these are less than a few pages. And some are just a few chapters, some a couple volumes. So let's uh, let's start with what well, we mentioned Umezu already. There was a story of Umezu's that got remade recently and became a, a slight viral sensation for a little bit. Uh, and that and that was it was redone by Hisashi Iguchi, uh, who is an artist. Uh, and that story is called Fasting. It is twenty pages long. It is about an overweight girl who gets dumped by a guy that like like a guy that she thinks is really handsome. And while, and while he's dumping her, he makes fun of her weight and, you know, says that, why would you think I'd ever be, want to be with someone like you? The bit where she starves herself for so long that she beco- that she becomes beautiful, and then he's into her. And I'm just going to spoil it. I mean, because it's only 20 pages. He gets into her, and as soon as she kisses him, the fact that she hasn't eaten in all this time kicks in, and she just eats him alive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, wow. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's... It's a story with a purpose, you know. It's girl power. You can eat the man that you can eat the man that rejects you alive. Sounds like something from Frank and Friend. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read Frank and Friend yet, and it's uh, a lot of my a lot of my good. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great horror reasons. comedy. It's like it's blackjack as a horror comedy. It's it's, it's really great. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm, I'm definitely gonna check that one out. Yeah, I'm interested in the title you mentioned, uh, Kasasi Aguchi. He did Stop Hibari Kun. Which is a classic shonen jump manga about uh, actually transgender character, you know? So really, so, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't read any Aguchi yet, so I'm gonna have to jump into that one. Yeah, it's real cute, real funny, real cute series. Surprisingly, surprise, it politically incorrect, but surprisingly progressive. So yeah, it's it's very it's very rare to see a shonen manga that tackles that kind of thing with any kind of. Uh, tact or sensitivity well it's a comedy but it the joke isn't on hibari for being transgender it's on everyone else for well yeah uh, because the main character is still attracted so it's like he doesn't know how to uh, he doesn't know how to complicate his feelings so but hibari is portrayed in a very positive light excellent excellent um all right let's talk about next we'll talk about uh kakizaki masasumi's hideout Hideout is one volume. Uh, it is about. I, I'd actually recommend this for anyone who likes this sort of things, like Silent Hill. It's it's about a man who commits a terrible crime, uh, and that he, you know, he, he he's lost. We we're told he's lost his son, or you know that he, he you know he wants to keep his son, uh, and he murders his wife and leaves her in a cave. And he sort of like for the next eight chapters, he enters his own private hell, which becomes very surrealistic. I reckon this one because the art is so good in this one. The the use of ink and black and white space is fantastic. Like uh, some of some of the panels really blew me away, especially the stuff in the caves. Like I I don't know how Mas- Masasumi did it, uh, but uh, very recommended. Highly is a very bleak story, so don't go in expecting anything light. Uh, but Hideout by Kakazaki Masasumi, it's real good. Check it out. That's one of the ones I read in preparation for this, and I was 
it just really took my breath away and some of these some of the ink work that was going on in there. Actually, I was I was actually kind of interested, and in, I saw you uh, live tweeting a lot of the a lot of these titles that you're going to mention. Uh, I was particularly interested in uh, Fuan Notane. That's actually that was the next one on my list, so I'm glad we got. I'm glad we agreed. Well, there we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that is by uh, Nakayama Masaki, and Fuan Notane is interesting. It's it's a few volumes long. Uh, it's essentially it's meant to be like ghost stories or urban legends or superstitions. He tends to organize them around themes. Uh, am I, actually, he or she, I don't, I, I don't actually know this artist's gender, so I'm sorry to say. Uh, they tend to organize them around certain themes. So, like, you know, there's, like, here's stories about going on a walk, and here's all the things that could happen to you on a walk. Here's stories about going, you know, about, about making eye contact with somebody you shouldn't have, you know? This, those, those all sound very relatable so far. <laughs> Monday situations that go totally awry. But the, the best thing about Fuan Natai is they go totally awry in five pages or less. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Every full on the tiny story is a very few pages, and it, it very much is in the category of horror of the totally unexplained and unexplainable. Like, it's it's a couple pages of mundane setup, and then something really strange happens, and the story ends the second the strange thing happens. And you don't know the outcome, you don't know what happens, it's just, it, it, it literally is an urban legend, probably told by a friend of a friend. And to that end, uh, Nakayama uses a lot of caption panels, uh, where they'll just say, like, uh, you know, October, October 10th. 9 p.m., you know, like, 1997. And, like, and there'll be somebody in a school who's... Uh, I'll, I'll use the opening story, one of the ones I posted. There's there's a story about a girl who's alone at a school, and they're closing up things, and they're, you know, and they're, and they're by the lockers, and they tell the story about this thing that five- and six-year-olds say that they see, and it's, it's something they call the Playful Man. And the Playful Man waits, but can't enter the school for some reason, and it's this thing with a bag over its head with this silly drawn-on face that just says, let's play. And it stands beside the lockers, and it just tries to lure kids to it. And by saying, let's play, and if they come outside, we don't know what happens to them. But this teenager runs into it, and it's like, can you come inside? And just keeps yelling, let's play, let's play, let's play. Like, <laughs> it, and, the, and the story just ends on its face. Like, there's a lot of bizarre faces, or people, you know, it's very relatable. You're, you're just walking down the street. Everything is normal, and you turn and make eye contact with this ghost with big eyes that is obsessed with you now, or is going to follow you home, or is going to chop off your ear. Like, it's it's so small. These micro-stories, some of the punchlines are kind of silly, some are like, I'm, I'm noticing a theme emerging here. But I, I think that uh, Masa- Nakiyama Masaki is really good at just that sudden glimpse of an uncanny image to make you uncomfortable, and then before you can even adjust, it's on to the next story. Yeah, I was going to say, that this sounds fairly comedic so far. <laughs> Uh, some of them are comedic, and some of them are the thing that Nakayama drew is so horrific looking, or just unsettling in its vagueness, that you, you know, it might actually be a little scary. Uh, I know some of these things have become reaction images on certain corners of the web, certain uh, <laughs> ghosts and monsters. Uh, by, that, by that hand, uh, Fuan Natane's artist, uh, Nakayama, also has a, another series called uh, Koisho Radio. Uh, and Koyosho Radio is the same as Fuan Notane in that it's very short stories that end very suddenly. Uh, I haven't read all of Koyosho Radio. I'm actually that's one of actually my current read. Um, but from what I've seen, the the things drawn at the end, the punchline scares are more horrific looking than they were in Fuan Notane. Uh, so yeah, really recommend Nakayama's work. Uh, these are works that you can get in and out of very fast. It, I would recommend that you read them at night. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think all of this should be read at night. That's the best time to read horror. And watch horror. Experience horror. The night is when it's dark and you're all alone. Turn out the lights, yeah. That's when the atmosphere <laughs> can really get you. Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for the atmosphere to get you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, there's also Battle Royale, which was released as a manga uh, by Koshun Takami and Masayuki Taguchi. I'm not going to say a lot about that one. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you know the story of Battle Royale. Uh, kids on an island forced to fight each other pre-Hunger Games, but post uh, Lord of the Flies. So, you know, let's not start on who inspired who. <laughs> Uh, but uh, Battle Royale the the manga is much more explicit than the uh, movie was and uh, Tokyo Pop released all of it at one point I think you can probably still find the hardcovers out there somewhere if you're really looking another another quick one uh, Jisatsu Circle uh, which is literally translates to Suicide Circle uh, which got a film adaptation in Suicide Club which became fairly famous and infamous uh, among people who like this kind of stuff for a while uh, and that is about a club of eight Japanese schoolgirls. This is by Usamara Furuyu, who does a lot of very unusual, uh, cynical work about the state of the country of Japan. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I might have actually seen his works around from time to time. Yeah, some of it's been printed, some of it hasn't. Various. Like, yeah, if if I'm if I'm correct, I think this person in particular actually had one of his works previewed in the American Shonen Jump at one point called uh, Genkaku Picasso. Oh really? Oh yeah, that was fully published over here. Yeah, I remember. I remember when Print Shonen Jump was still a thing over here, and they actually had a preview for that. And I remember reading that and not understanding it at all because I'm pretty sure I wasn't the right age to really like appreciate something like that. Like I thought it was weird and really dumb, but I don't know. It's something I'd like to maybe kind of explore again because again it's another one of those things where i'd probably like it i'd probably understand it and maybe appreciate it a little bit more now that i'm older because you know obviously when i was when i was younger like like i i didn't really have an appreciation for manga in terms of its uh i guess from from uh i guess from a perspective of like its art or whatnot if you don't know how to take it then you've definitely read furuya like it's <laughs> I, think that's, that's the, I think that's the, the proper reaction to the stuff that he produces uh oh, okay he, he, like, it, it tends to be very there's there's comedy to it but it's like kind of gross comedy there's sex to it but it's schoolgirl sex there's you know there's yeah it's it's more subversive i i i, I think he also did that one series called like uh hikari club something i forget what the name is uh, off the top yeah, of so that, that would be lychee light club uh yeah yeah, yeah. Club. yeah it's I actually have not read that one yet, and everybody tells me I'll love it, so I have to wait. I'll report back. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in what you think because, like, I know nothing about that series, and I've I've been seeing that around for years now, and I, I like I I know nothing about it. The designs look great, uh, but yeah, it's I, I know that's a very strange one, and I'm looking forward to getting to it. Uh, Jisatsu Circle, um, you know, and again, content warning. I, I do like to say, you know, especially because it is about suicide. Jisatsu Circle is. It's most known, I think, for the movie version, Suicide Club, uh, where, uh, like, over 50 uh, schoolgirls in the very opening scene gleefully jump to their deaths. And so, yeah, it's it's about some person with a contagious effect who convinces all the other kids in their school to kill themselves and then just, like, is able to survive somehow and keep going at it. Uh, so they just keep ending up in new places and doing the same thing. And so it's very cult-like. 
I, I can't say it's a full recommend for me, but it's definitely an interesting thing. And I know, again, because this picked up steams and some of the darker corners of the web, if that's your kind of thing, check it out. So let's get to, uh, let's get, let's get to a heavy recommendation for me. And I think this will be a good point to say, like, you know, if you guys want to talk about more horror among in the future, I'll be glad to come back on and give you some more lists. But a series I really love is, and I'm still reading this one, is, uh, Ureto. Yeah, I've, I've seen you tweet about this one, yeah. Ureto is, gosh, it, it, it's, it's not legally available. I wish it was. I, I don't know if this is the kind of series that'll get picked up by anybody. I describe it as the psychosexual boy detective story I never knew I wanted, but I can't live without. Huh, okay. Uh, it's, it's, even saying a lot of it is giving too much away, uh, but it's, it's about, <laughs> it's about this character, it's about, first of all, it's about Amano Taichi, who is this, who is a neat, that's, there's no better way to say about it, you know, he is, he's someone who doesn't leave his house and doesn't really have any skills and is looking for work and ends up be accompanying this mysterious person named Tetsuo, who is, for all intents and purposes, this very attractive boy detective who takes <laughs> Amato on these very vivid murder mysteries uh, involving, like, ghostly clock towers and mysterious villages and things. What separates Ureto from any other comic of its kind, though, is that Tetsuo is a trans man, Oh, okay. And, it, and it's handled in a very interesting way, and the potential unusual courtship between Amano and uh, Tetsuo is, is an interesting thing to see play out. Uh, it does get into some very uncomfortable territory, as uh, one of the villains is... I, I'm just going to say that there is a, there is a masked slasher-type character that seems very sexually possessive of Tetsuo in a, in a very unnerving way, and that the uh, mangaka is really amazing at rendering uh, slasher-type scenes, things like a Dario Argento movie or other European slashers that people love. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to give too much away because this is really a series I would love people to discover on their own, um, but I, I do feel like it, it handles... It handles its horror and it handles its trans issues in fascinating ways. This one has really been sticking with me, and I've been—I've purposely been pacing this one out because I don't want to run out of new chapters because it is complete. Uh, it, it's just—it's got one of my higher recommendations on the show, and it's—it's it's just a very different kind of series. I was—it's it, probably my it's probably my biggest surprise I've read in a long time. Hmm, wow. Hmm. Well. Yeah, that's uh, like I said. That's, that's definitely something I've been seeing you tweet about for a while, and um, I, I, I don't know. You seem to really, 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 really love it. I, I feel like I'm going to have to give it a chance at some point. Yeah, just just be prepared. Like I said, there is some there is some vivid graphic content in there, and there's some uncomfortable stuff. But I think if you're I think if you're used to like the darkness of Asano, it's about on that level, but on more of a psychosexual level. That's again, that's the best way I can put it. But yeah, I, I would encourage you to try it at least. Yeah, I'm in, I'm definitely interested. Uh, it's, it is a period piece. It's set in the fifties. Uh, okay. So, so its portrayal of these issues is even more interesting because it's not uh, okay. Uh, and the artist is oh Nogazaki Taro. Yeah. So re, so read some Nogazaki Taro. Get yourself in there. All right. There you go. Um, I I think uh, think that's about all we want to discuss for for right now. Right. 
Oh yeah, the, I, I'm just gonna say that there is there is an amazing assortment of short horror manga online. Uh, if you want, you can come to me at any time. I'll be happy to pass on any of the stuff I find. But there's also a humongous boom of interesting uh, comics and horror webtoons coming out of Korea right now, of all places. Uh, hmm. And I'm, I haven't explored that enough to talk about it, but I'm, that's something I'm keen to be looking at very soon. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I had a, I had a great time talking about this with you guys. Um, oh yeah, thank you. I mean, you made some amazing suggestions. Like, I have to check some of this stuff out that I haven't read. Eureka in particular. And, and honestly, I felt like this was a pretty good discussion of just the horror genre in general, which is not something I really get to have with a ton of people. I feel like I really learned a lot today. Well, I am always happy to be either of your windows into this at any time, so just let me know. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we really appreciate having you on, Casey, but um, I guess before we move on, uh, we, we did have an email, didn't we, Sid? Yes, we do. We got an email from Allison, and I'm sorry, Allison, I don't know if I want to read out the entire email, because a lot of the question, a lot of what she wrote, it has to do with, you know, what, what's been up with her, and the question only comes in at the end. Her question is, what fall anime are we watching, and do we recommend anything? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, well, I, it, it's weird, because I went through this thing where, at first, I thought, oh, there's nothing, in, there's not going to be much in fall that I want to watch, and then I realized, oh, wait, there's actually a lot of stuff I wanted to check out in fall, and now I'm at that point where I'm like, a lot of the stuff I really, really wanted to watch was actively looking forward to, I'm either not really feeling or I don't really want to watch week to week. So I actually, I don't have a ton of like newer stuff I'm watching. I'm watching maybe one or two sequels here and there. But other than that, I've, I've, I've basically shaved off what I'm definitely going to be keeping up with week to week. And it's, uh, uh, it, it it's, it's definitely not, uh, not the amount of stuff I thought I'd be keeping up with, but, um, yeah, anything I'd recommend. I mean, um, God, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. And that's the thing. Nothing. I can't think of anything this fall. I mean, besides JoJo's, but I mean, that's like, that's a carryover. So that doesn't really count. I can't really think of anything that's really like actively stood out to me so far. And you, Casey? Um, I, you know, I am always famously several seasons behind. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's totally fair. Uh, but I, of the stuff that's out this season that I'm interested in so far, um, I would like to watch Tiger Mask W as I'm a big fan of wrestling and uh, yes. I do like yeah. Japan and I know and my boys uh, Kazuchiko Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi are in the show, so I'd like to see them. And uh, I would like to see Yuri on Ice at some point, but I haven't done that yet either. Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's something that is definitely very popular right now. That's I wanted to try watching that weekly, but I think. Um, I don't know. I think I'm I'm not as interested in watching that week to week. I feel like I'd personally I'd rather marathon that show when it's over. But I do want to get back to it. I'll give you a recommendation for an anime from that's pretty ideal for fall. Uh, although again, Ooh, you're staring you after Halloween. But you know it's it's right in time for Dia de los Muertos. And <laughs> uh, if you're you know and if you're like me, you're poor as all year anyway. Halloween is just a time where you can talk about it more loudly without people thinking you're a freak. Uh, so. <laughs> So uh, I, I recommend the first season of Yami Shibai, uh, which is a very sh- in, in, in it, like Fuan no Tane, It is a very it is a series of very short horror stories that are told in a couple minutes. Uh, it's done in an interesting paper cut uh, style, and it, it's just it's more jump scare heavy. But like it's just here's a story. 
this is an urban legend. There's the jump scare. It's done. Like it's you're in, you're out. Like you can you can really marathon those in like maybe two hours. Uh, mm. But it, I I really enjoyed that series. Otherwise, horror anime wise, go watch Perfect Blue. Go watch uh, Paranoia Agent. Go watch mm-hmm. Shiki. Go watch uh, watch anything Satoshi Kon. Yeah, go watch anything Satoshi Kon. Just on principle, I mean, Christmas is coming up. I'm gonna I watch Tokyo Godfathers every year around Christmas. Uh, and yeah, and watch uh, Boogie Pop Phantom because I think it's not seen by enough people. Oh yeah, I love Boogie Pop. Actually, you know what? Uh, in in terms of the fall anime season, actually, the the one show I do actively look forward to is Classical Lloyd. Mm. Really? Um, yeah, like I, it probably won't surprise anybody listening to this. I I'm watching it mostly because it is uh it is directed by Yoichi uh, Fujita, who is uh not only responsible for actually a ton of Gintaba, but is actually responsible for Osamatsu-san as well. It's also animated by Sunrise. And, uh, I, like, it looks, it looks colorful, I really like the character designs, like, it's, it's, uh, it's a very weird series so far, like, it's this, it's this kind of family-friendly anime series that's airing on the NHK, and it's about, uh, it's about these two high school kids, uh, one of them owns this mansion that was, uh, inherited to, uh, to her from her father, uh, who's just kind of doing whatever, and uh, and her childhood friend who kind of basically lives in the mansion without her permission he's 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 one of those guys who's like yeah i i'm totally going to pl- you know learn how to play an instrument and be a rock star so i can get all the ladies and stuff but he's a he's a terrible musician and for some reason there are just these like i i don't i don't exactly know what they are like there there are these like famous composers just running around like you have beethoven who's voiced by sugita and it's and is amazing i love it um, and you got like Mozart running around, Chopin, like all these different, uh, all these different like anime-fied, uh, classical composers. I think Bach is like the like main antagonist of the story so far. It's really weird. It's just, it's such a zany, really weird, colorful show that like I can't help but, you know, look forward to it week to week. Episode four, I think, probably being one of the strongest episodes so far. But yeah, it's just, it, that, that's probably like the one thing I'm like actually looking forward to. Again, everything else, uh, everything else I was looking forward to either hasn't really grabbed me as much as I would like to, or is just stuff I'd rather just marathon at a at a later date. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I do have one. I do have one. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I want to see the Grappler Baki OVA that's coming out. Oh mm. uh, yeah, that is coming out. Yeah, the, Grappler Baki is something I've, I've been wanting to read as well, but I know I don't think I'm I'm waiting for that to be kind of fully translated first before I dive into it. Okay, I, I, I'm glad I just, I want, to, I want to talk about Baki real fast, and then I'll let you sure, guys go. go. Ahead. I'll mm. let you guys go. Baki, <laughs> Baki qualifies as a horror manga. It is, they, they say it's supposed to be, <laughs> they say it's supposed to be a fight manga. Baki is the most beautiful, it, it's, it's so ugly that it transcends ugliness into beauty. It's so awful that it transcends into like, being genius it's been going on for forever and characters do completely obscene nonsense to each other all the time uh, it's it's almost bodily horrific most of the time like especially when they try to when they try to talk about how buff people are they, they just look disgusting like it's it's fascinating i mean i one day one day my friends we will talk about baki and i apologize in advance but it just <laughs> 
good lord. Like, I, I, I read from week to week, and this is one of the few series where I, I am, like, obsessively reading it, and I cannot live tweet some of the stuff I'm reading that's so vulgar. Like, it's... Wow. It's so vulgar, and it's so ugly, and I love how ugly it is. It, <laughs> Grab a Baki, man. Yeah, that's, that, that, is, that is my highest and lowest recommendation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, from from the from what I've seen of it, yeah, I, I guess it could be considered horror. Oh no, it, it's horror. It, it doesn't mean to be horror most of the time, but it's like like there there's literally four pages of somebody licking a framed photograph, and like it's and there's just panel after panel after panel after panel, this increasingly distended tongue licking this photo. And it's supposed to be sexy, but it's not. That's, that, that sounds like stuff that would put, like, Iraqi's tongue stuff to shame. That sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Bucciletti licking Giorno all over on his face has nothing compared to this, it seems. Baki is totally JoJo level. It just didn't have the foresight to put Bizarre in its name. Like... <laughs> <laughs> It's it's less memeable because it's actually gross. <laughs> wow, that actually does sound kind of amazing. I kind of want to read it more now. Uh, my brother's been trying to get me into Baki in forever, but yeah, definitely. I, I we need to read that. We need to have Casey back on, and we need to do a Baki <laughs> episode. Okay, but Baki episode sometime in the future. I'll I'll write that down. Baki manga fight. We have to schedule that in next year. Ma- Ma- manga manga Mavericks, the year two thousand double X. Who knows? When. <laughs> Uh, um, okay, but uh, I think I think that's about no, it. No, uh, I never Casey. I never mentioned uh, anything I did. I, uh, oh, I'm, I'm oh, yeah, I, sorry. I jumped in. Uh, I'm sorry. In my in my defense, I I thought you weren't watching anything though. That's in true. In your defense, I was rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. Sid, go on. No, but yeah, I, I'm actually not keeping up with anything besides Dragon Ball Super and JoJo's, but. I am really interested in watching Tiger Mass W because I'm a big fan of uh, Shinono Joe and its creator, Asaki Takamori. Uh, and I've always wanted to re- read more of his stuff, but they aren't really, tr- they, they haven't been translated much. And the original Tiger Mass manga, only nine or so chapters have been scanlated. So I was never able to read a whole lot of that. And, but I so, I, I was a little skeptical whether this new Tiger Mask series would be good or not, because, you know, Toei also, you know, it seems like it, it was being made in promotion with the Japanese Wrestling League, so it seemed like it might be kind of a infomercial, commercially thing. So I was a little skeptical, but hearing, like, the positive reception for it and hearing how people are really into it, is, it makes me very happy and very keen to check the show out at some point down the line. Uh, I'm not, I don't really want to get into anything new right now just because I'm just really busy. I don't want to be keeping up with a lot of shows. The only shows I'm really watching right now are JoJo's, Dragon Ball, and South Park, and that's it. But yeah, definitely like once the school year is done and I, this is, Dragon Mass W is going to be one of the first things I marathon because I mean, I've always wanted to get into that franchise and it's great to have a legally available installment of it finally. Um, so that would be my, so that, yeah, I'm, that's something I'm really keen in checking out. And, uh, but I, I'm so, sorry, Allison, that we didn't read out your entire email, but just to, uh, uh, comment on some of the things you mentioned. Uh, I also, I know this too bad that Yokai Watch isn't more accessible, 
uh, in the United States. But I think you can watch some episodes on the Disney XD website. Uh, I do think the fan base for it is growing. I went to the theatrical screening of the movie. The theater was fully packed. Kids were excited. They were dancing at the ending credits. Like the promotional <laughs> thing they were doing outside the theater after the movie was done. What Everyone was buzzing around, swarming. Kids are into it. I think the fan base is growing. I think it is gaining traction. Is it going to be as big as Pokemon and Digimon? I don't know if... If it'll have a reach out side, but I do, I do think it is growing an audience among kids and a very passionate one. So I do think that, uh, you know, the franchise in a, is in a good place in the United States, at least. And as far as your comments on Dragon Ball Go, uh, I disagree with your assertion that Dragon Ball is a basic shonen jump shonen with no real substance. Um, I think, though, to really appreciate, though, you really do need to read the manga and read it from the beginning. Uh, yeah. So I would suggest you do that because Toriyama's manga is a lot more artfully crafted and, and just such a amazing comic that I, I don't think the anime quite lives up to it. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying Yu Yu Hakusho. Uh, uh, I'm glad you're you are enjoying Dragon Ball Super right now, even though even if the Japanese cast is taking a little getting used to. And uh, yeah. So, thank you for your email, Allison. I'll, I'll even say, I was not excited about Yokai Watch before, but the new Yokai Watch has a Mulder and Skulder, uh, Skull, uh, Scully from the X-Files parody called Martyr and Cockery. So now, <laughs> and they, they opened the Y files, and they look just like David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, so I'm excited about them. Mm. Yokai Watch is actually a really, really funny show, honestly. Like... I think that its real selling point is that it just ha- it's this really good slapstick kind of series. Like, so it, it, it like it, it. I when I have I whenever I watch it, I always have a good time. Like the movie was a good experience. Like even though it's a kids show, it's like it's it's a really good, ki- really funny kids show. It has a lot of personality to it. So I think that kind of sets it apart from some other things which are kind of more tepid. Well, well, Sid, when, when Mulder and Scully show up, you let me know, and I'll watch that episode. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I just real quick, I I don't know. Maybe I should try watching more Yokai Watch, because I, I watched about maybe like two or three episodes of the dub on Disney XD, and I, I thought it was kind of cute, but I wasn't entirely sold on it. I mean, again, it is a kid's show, so you do need to have uh, inclinations towards those. So, I mean, I like... I like I like Doraemon and I like I can watch oh, yeah, stuff that's, like that's, that. Yeah, it's weird because I I love I love stuff like uh, Doraemon and everything, but I don't know. Oh, my my excuse is that I'm just very bad at watching anime. If you give, <laughs> if you give me a, if you give me a comic, I'll read it. But if you put anime in front of me, like I'll like uh, I'll watch ping pong the animation over and over instead. <laughs> yeah, you, you 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 and the rest of any Twitter. There you go. <laughs> um. Okay, but now I think that's about everything, right, Sid? Yes, because we'll save Ajin for next week. Because I think we yeah. can go for another hour on Ajin, but I don't think we want to. Yeah, well, we'll we'll definitely talk about Ajin next episode, because... Yeah, I can let you get a chance to get caught up so we can have a thorough and proper discussion without me having to worry about spoiling you. Yeah, ac- yeah actually, this, this probably works out in my favor, um, thankfully, so... I think that's about it for the episode. Casey, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really, like, we, we both really enjoyed having you on. Yes. Oh, well, thank you so much. No, I, I really enjoyed the show, guys, and I hope that you, I wish you many successes, and if you ever want to have me back on, I'll be happy to do it. Oh, definitely. We gotta do the Baki episode. 
Oh yeah, I pencil that down. That's that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and there and there's always more horror manga. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to maybe do this again next year or something. Because yeah, like like you said, there's definitely a lot more out there that we could have talked about. But uh, anyway, so uh, everybody should go follow Casey. And with that, Casey, you should tell the good people where they could find you. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Minovsky Article. Uh, like the particle and Gundam. I do, I do still talk about giant robots sometimes in addition to this stuff. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's about it right now. Otherwise, I'm just doing sporadic guest spots on other people's podcasts until I eventually relaunch my own. And that might take a while, but eventually I'd hope to do that. And I'd launch a something horror-related if you can stand to listen to me talk about that anymore at length. Thank you, and have a nice day. <laughs> nice. Well, well th- thank you so much, Casey. Um, yeah, definitely go follow Casey on Twitter. Uh, maybe maybe if, if you like One Piece, listen to him on the One Piece podcast whenever he has the chance to come on. I definitely enjoy those episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I, I'm their Okama Nakama. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Sid, how about you? You can look at my art on Sid Gupta's awesome art blog on Tumblr, and you can find me as Lum Ramiyasha on various places, most notably Twitter, my anime list, and animation revelation. Wait a minute, we are putting out our Inuyasha manga fight on the series' 20th anniversary, November 13th, 2016. And then the day before, we will also be releasing... A uh, special retrospective where me and the previous guest on the show, the Lord GTC, count down our top 10 favorite moments from Inuyasha, as well as comment on the series' legacy in as a whole and answer some questions we've gotten uh, about the series. So look forward to those. Those will be coming out on uh, next weekend uh, on November 12th and November 13th. Uh, but as for me, Colton... Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. I do a lot of other podcasts as well. Most importantly, there's Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast. If you're a fan of Gintama and you want sort of a retrospective look compared to other shows such as Just a Gintama podcast, uh, we are the show for you. Uh, covering Gintama specifically through the manga as was released by Viz Media back in the day. Uh, if you want to go listen to that, that's Life Lessons, the Gintama manga cast at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com. I just started watching that. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> when you, when you get far enough, uh, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should do something about that. We'll see. All right. There you go. Um, uh, but as for my other podcast, basically, if you're in the Toriko, there's the Heavenly Kings podcast at Heavenly, heavenlykings.wordpress.com. If you like Detective Conan slash Case Close, uh, there's uh, One Podcast Prevails at onepodcastprevails.wordpress.com. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks and All Comic, you can find more of this podcast at all-comic.com. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. And if you want to send us an email about uh, about uh, m- maybe you have some uh, horror manga recommendations that uh, maybe you'd like to uh, uh, pass on to Manofsky here, or Casey. I'll read them. Yeah, he'll read them, definitely. Maybe he'll even live-tweet them. Uh, or, you know, just want to send us an email about manga in general. Or really anything. We'll, we'll, we'll read it on the show. The, you can email us at uh, mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And I think that's going to be about it. Uh, Hopefully everybody has a happy Halloween. And uh, we will see you guys next time on episode 21 of Manga Mavericks here on All Comic. Bye, guys. Sayonara.